Hello and welcome to the Varvel Football Podcast for August and September, because last month the monthly run was halted because I was stuck on an island in London where I did some work. He was working at the Telegraph, just say it Johnny. I was, I was, it was a very before I got on today, two weeks at the Telegraph, and it was a, it was there was a very educational two weeks where I was put through the rigors and and the tries of high end writing, as as you would expect at such a newspaper, and working in the middle of a busy London newsroom. It was it was very 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 educational. That was that was quite a strong, positive, formal start. That was. Yes, it's something to build on, I think. Would you agree, Harry? Are we, are we doing well? So you, I do, am you a like, bit, I do you feel, like serious me? Yes. Yeah, no, this this podcast is we try to keep it as unserious as possible. But obviously, we have to get serious. Uh, but I'm, I'm struggling a bit. I have been up since quarter past four this morning. And to resist the temptation of just going to sleep now and waking up at the after clock tomorrow, I thought, let's jump on the podcast tonight because this will keep me awake. So, Johnny, I have to thank you for this. OK, OK, OK. And tell the listeners who were so eagerly wondering why you were up at 4am what exactly <laughs> you were doing. I've just been to work covering a, a run for a radio station. Uh, yeah, that's about it, really. <laughs> Yeah, face some, for the radio, Harry. Yeah, face for the radio. No, you know, I, I think also, that. yeah, also face for modelling gas masks, Harry, maybe, if you, if you wanted to do that. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not too bad. Uh, so today, yeah, we're going <laughs> to jump into... Are you crafting me, Johnny? <laughs> Definitely not. That's not my kind of thing. But what? Um, Until what, you've been watching the violence. Yeah, <laughs> they don't wear gas masks on the violence. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the last podcast that we did was actually based around the general overview of predictions, and some of those were quite are going quite well. Some of them aren't going that well. Do you um, want to um, expand on the ones that aren't going very well for you, Johnny? Yeah, well, I think so. We'll just have a general discussion. What we're going to do, actually, in this podcast, we usually have some interactive features that we think are fun and hopefully some others do, too. But the idea at the end of this one is to look at a non top six best 11, because often we look and delve into the bigger teams. And sometimes and most times, you know, that's that's where peak interest is. But of course, got a whole cluster of other teams out there with a whole plethora of wonderful individuals that maybe deserve a bit more recognition maybe i mean some of them are already quite widely spoken of not trying to spoil these teams too much i can tell that you're on tender hooks waiting but um we we will go into that a bit later but before that we just want to have a bit of a discussion on just the, the general the general play of, of football at the moment it football has been yeah excellent, but there yeah. is one thing that is spoiling it quite a bit and mm. in particular this weekend which i'm sure johnny doesn't need any introducing really does it no, I think I think VAR as a topic is rather polarizing. And when you watch EFL games and then you watch a Premier League game or 
or, or other European leagues. To be fair, I do actually think some of the other European leagues deal with VAR better than the Premier League do. I mean, we saw it in other leagues. I think La Liga had it before the Premier League had it. And people said and commented often in La Liga how well it was used. 2018 and, uh, World Cup as well, I think. Was yeah. The, yeah. And it was great. used really well then, wasn't it, actually? We all eulogised over how it was used, how it added to the game. And we thought, oh, that's going to be brilliant when it comes to the Premier League. It hasn't quite worked out like that. Um, I did a Twitter poll earlier, actually, that was slightly disappointing in terms of the number of votes I got. I was expecting hundreds, and I ended up with about 34, which is quite, which is a bit of a, like, a bit of a letdown, really. It reminds me that it's all your mate at the Telegraph. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the the sort of thinking was there's sort of three avenues with VAR, and there'll be people that still maintain, you know, the way it's used, it does more good than bad because it gets rid of a lot of the wrong decisions, and there will be also people that say. It's nightmarish. It takes away from the authenticity of the game. And then there'll be the people in between who say, when used, as you alluded to, Harry, well, at the 2018 World Cup and in other leagues prior to the Premier League introducing it, then it can be a really good thing for the game. What I would just say before I would bring you into it or I bring you into it is watching the football in the EFL and maybe if you were to watch uh, football in other leagues where they don't have VAR, feels like a, a throwback of nostalgia, even though it's not because it's never been introduced in some leagues. But it feels like a throwback, if you watch the Premier League, to the years where you would ultimately, if a goal went in and there was no action on the pitch, you could celebrate, you could get involved in the moment. I think the big moments in matches are being diluted now uh, by the possibility of some exterior action from off, off the pitch that, you know that, that gets involved um and to me it's almost like if you were to say to every premier league fan shall we say because that's the league what's getting the most controversy with var at the moment if you were to say to those fans would you now scrap var and go back to how it used to be i think the majority the majority being over 50 of course would probably be in favor of that because you listen to fans in the EFL and people watch the EFL and so often he's commented, oh, well, some of those decisions maybe didn't go in our favour or they didn't, you know, or whatever, something, not everything was correct. That was a bit off. But I'm just glad it's authentic football. So I don't know where you stand on that. Do you feel which camp are you in? There's sort of three avenues. Are you for reform? Are you against or are you still for it completely? I think I'm for reform, really, because I think with VAR, obviously it's horrendous when it goes against your team, but it it is there, you know, probably eight eight or seven times out of ten will we'll probably work out for you if they have missed something. I saw a tweet today of someone who's a, a fan of, I think, of a championship or a League One club, and they just said that lots of Premier League fans are, are moaning on about VAR and wanting it scrapped. And they mm-hmm. said if their team was playing without it, they'd be crying and wanting it back in a few weeks. Which it's an interesting one, but to be fair, especially in the EFL, because I mean, Christ, I've seen how bad EFL officials are, and they, there is some howlers. Mm. I think we'd probably be worse off without VAR. The issue is, it's not the technology; it's the people mm. in Stockley Park who are orchestrating it all. And we've seen this weekend; we've seen some clangers. I mean, mm. the one that infected affected my team, of course. I'm sure we'll get on to and West Ham as well. I mean. The, them two decisions are, are horrendous and they wouldn't have come really if a they showed the correct camera angles and b 
they weren't constantly slowing it down to mm. make it look worse in terms of replays. When you see something at real time, it can look better. If you slow something down so you know so minute, mm. it it can make it worse, and that's what we've seen this weekend. But it's not just the two games that we've had this weekend that, that have caused controversy. It seems that every single match day now there's at least two or three big pointers in terms of VAR. I think they're going. We've been robbed. Because I mean, Newcastle. I mean, midweek was a, was a shambles. I thought in terms of officiating, and then of course at the weekend. We were looking at the Premier League table and we're saying, I think we're, Newcastle sat on seven points now, 11th in the table. With probably the three points they should have got, two against Palace and a point of Liverpool, they'd be fifth. It's got huge implications in terms of the final table, up and down the leagues. But I feel that I've seen a big um, sort of, you know, from other 14 clubs where they seem to think there's some like conspiracy against them, seeing that the big six clubs seem to get decisions in their favour. Mm. Do you see that as an issue? And is there an argument for it, or is it just the fact that it seems it's more common that teams that aren't in that upper echelon of the Premier League are kind of getting away with a few more decisions as opposed to others where you'd go, that's going to be ruled out because of the, the badge on the front of the shirt? Um, I, don't, I don't think officials generally will go out to say, oh, we're going to give this team no, I agree. advantage. I feel like it's more maybe uh, it's not subconsciously, maybe subliminally or something. I'm trying to find the word, but where maybe you're at big arenas, there's a huge atmosphere, you know the size of certain clubs comes with more emotion than others in terms of quantity. So you have, you know, for example, Liverpool, millions and millions and millions and millions of supporters man united millions and millions and millions of supporters and generally that comes with the big the bigger that you know that at the top six of course you've got other teams as well like newcastle and west ham that also have that but yeah i think the pressure of the arena can sometimes play a part the size of the club that you're officiating can possibly play a big part the history and also can possibly play a big part because historically the bigger teams generally have got decisions that are in their favour that maybe some of the smaller teams wouldn't get um, and the uproar and the outcry of a bigger team I imagine generally across the stratosphere is bigger than the outcry and, and, and anger of a, of a smaller team that's just by quantity that's just by um, size and stature within within the world the media conspiracy is a bit of a stretch I think subliminally things do happen like that where there is a, a subliminal favouring from time to time because of the facts that I've just said, the size, the scale, the atmosphere, the the exterior feel of certain teams, particularly on their home patch, i.e. Anfield, i.e. Old Trafford. But no, I, I, I don't think conspiracy comes into it. But to bring my own thought again across, so obviously I think if you take VAR away, you get more decisions wrong. That's without question. You know, it's not going to be 100% accurate even when it's done properly. You'd like to think it'd be a bit more accurate than it is now. I think now it's probably you're saying maybe I don't know 80% accurate, which is absolutely shocking when you've got all the all the. Um, Considering how many people are working in these rooms, I mean, yeah. these referees are being paid. It should know, be 99. Health, a healthy wage to be able to sort this out. And how can you have thousands of people who have never refereed a game in their life can sit at home and all be unanimously agreeing on a decision, yet? Yeah the person officiating in VAR has got it wrong. How does that happen? I, I, that, that's what I want to get to the bottom of. 
Yeah, it makes you wonder what they're watching in the, um, you know, in the, in the uh, on on the television screens. I don't think what they're watching. What do you think of David Moyes' <laughs> comments, Johnny? Because I thought he was very, very strong with his words after that game. And mm. to be honest, fair play to him. He'll probably get fined, but he's been very clever there because he knows that's front page material, and yeah. it might just we'll probably change. And that we saw as well from the the PGMOL coming out today yeah. and seeing that the, the decisions at Newcastle and Chelsea were both wrong. Well, that, that, that's great. I mean, it seems that they're coming out with this every single week. That's fantastic. But West Ham have, have lost a point, a valuable yeah. point. That could be Newcastle have lost that a point. That was a of... bad decision. No, the West Ham one was easily... It's, oh, it's, it's the probably worst. the worst. It's probably the worst I've seen. I mean, recency bias aside, I think that's probably the worst I've seen in terms of a decision. I mean, he's Bowen's gone over the keeper and yeah. then he's gone down pretending that he's hurt his shoulder. I mean, surely the referee can see that he's being conned there. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that goal. No, I completely agree. I, I, it's bad. No, VAR should be 99% accurate. To have it at something like 80%, maybe I'm, maybe I'm exaggerating 80 and that one in five is wrong. But I don't know if I am. I think that's a fair reflection. About one in five we're looking at. I am plucking numbers out of the, out of the sky. Yeah. But it does feel a bit like that, that we say, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's wrong. And I don't feel that's an exaggeration and it shouldn't be anything like that. It needs to be a lot more refined than it is, absolutely. One suggestion, actually, for the reform was get people to be mic'd up and communicate, you know, communicate with, with the fans in terms is that of not like, just going to get people more angry, though? Uh, possibly. Or is what you it, say, is it the it? fact that it's more of fans have an explanation behind the decision as opposed to yeah. the folks sat in Stockley Park and they can get away without seeing anything and then how would so, whoever so I, I, that? I, I don't know if the referee would need to be mic'd up, but what you could have is the 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 audio from as you say Stockley Park saying, "Oh, is this is what we think." This is what we think. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that that's a that's a good possibility, I think. Um, and I think reform probably is the way. But what I would say again, it reforms the way if you want to get decisions right all the time. Mm. And I remember one a while ago when the wonderful Seth Blatter was still in charge of, um, of FIFA. He made a lot of strange comments to Seth Blatter, to be fair. But I remember one at the time was, he said, I think it was with goal line technology, to be fair. And he said something along the lines of, and this is clearly wrong, but he said, oh, uh, incorrect decisions were meant to be debated in the pub or after the game. Now, that's completely wrong with uh, with goal line technology. That's such a simple simple implementation. I think that's done wonders for the game, really, because, you know, if a goal's a goal, it's a goal. It's not, not, you know, there should be no debate about that. But it got me thinking, actually, if we broaden that out, we take away the technology, and then often we think back 10 years, you would say, oh, that was a tight offside, or that shouldn't have gone in. Or, you know, that was a foul before that happened or this shouldn't have been a penalty and all of that. And we said, oh, we need to get rid of that now. We need to stop that. But what you did have at the time when that was all in place was a natural flow of a game. When the ball went into the back of the net and the crowd cheered and celebrated, that in-game moment that's been created, it can't be tarnished, it can't be changed. It's happened, that moment of euphoria going around the stadium. It's ha- it, it, can't, it can't be taken away. But now, and I think it was no, no more was it pertinent than the, the weekend against in the Merseyside derby. Now, completely understand, as some people said, one person said to me on Twitter, are you blind? It's clearly offside. I said, yes, that's not what I'm arguing. The Connor Cody finish was offside. 
Uh, it was it was a clear, not, not really. Thing offside. Is that this is another issue that I've got with yeah. the offsides is yeah. the draw the lines. It's it's not the same every single time. I mean, no, like the yeah, yeah, Marcus yeah. Rashford against Liverpool. That's that would probably be deemed offside in other games. Yeah. Well, I, so I, I personally know they're trying to do this thing with we're going to benefit the attacker this year. Do it in every single game then. Don't just do it in one match and then we'll not do it for the next three and then we'll do it in this one. Don't pick and choose when you want to do it. Yeah. If you're going to say something, stick to it. Yeah. I think the only way you get round the whole offside debacle is having an automatic linesman, like a technology in place. I know they are working on something. I think until then, I think we're going to constantly have debates with offsides. But in yeah. terms of fouls and stuff leading up to goals, it's going to be around for a while I think think one thing they do need to do Johnny is show the officials in that brief time they have when they go to the monitor every single angle because it was very convenient at St James's Park at the weekend that the referee was shown an angle that if he was shown the other side where you can clearly see that Tyreek Mitchell has pushed Joe Willock into the goalkeeper I think the referee would have stuck with his original decision of awarding the goal because he showed him from that other side it actually looks worse than it is. So it's it's one of those ones where I think that reform, absolutely, but referees have to be probably given more time to, to see. And that and that means showing more camera angles. Mm. It's such a simple concept. But like we've seen, even Michael Oliver was a big one this weekend as well. Michael Oliver was told to go to the monitor and he stuck with his decision, which is a first. It's, it is refreshing to see, but I think they, they need to do that more often. And I think the, the camera angles are something that, that may just help a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I think on the offside, you're, I think I think the best way is to widen the lines. So, you know, if uh, it, to benefit the attacker, yeah, some of it's ridiculous. If it, if it can't be seen, if I look at a, 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 to, a to still as the ball's played and I cannot differentiate who's further ahead than who, yeah, it's a goal. Then, then it's a goal. But at the moment, you're thinking, or if, if someone's armpit, hair is you know that was the one we had with with Isaac on on Wednesday yeah. I mean you look yeah. at some angles he's not offside that you can see his foot's behind or people are yeah. going well his shoulder's in front I mean I think there's yeah. one player that scored with the shoulder in the Premier League and that's Mario Balotelli yeah. <laughs> it is yeah. it's, it's a mad it, it, it is insane it's bordering on ridiculous Ooh. problem is though where do you draw the line Johnny because you're going to have <laughs> some, someone is going to feel aggrieved that's yeah. the problem now they've set a precedent they've got to stick to it and like I said, the only way you solve this is either what you said, thicken the lines, or build some automatic linesman technology where we don't have the problem anymore. Like, let, 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 let's make some people redundant. That's your answer. In well, the cost of living crisis. <laughs> make people redundant. Who's going to pay their energy bills now? Won't be Liz Truss. You're all just in Stockley Park and VAR. So yeah. it's fine. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, well, but, but I don't know. Just, just, in, just in case there are any people concerned, uh, Boris Johnson advised that you can get a kettle and you can save ten pounds <laughs> a year. So that's, that's a good one, isn't it? He's worse than VAR. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but Boris would be good on the line, wouldn't he? Uh, that's uh, off, on, off, on, off, on. Uh. He wouldn't be very good, would he? Um, no, it was that wasn't Boris in the room. That was me, but. Yeah, so thicken the lines for me. Absolutely, I would. What I was arguing before, uh, Harry, going in a roundabout way, is that the Conor Cody goal where a good is an erupted in euphoria. Now, as I said, Liverpool fans were going mad at me saying it's clearly offside, but that wasn't the argument I was making. The argument I was making was that it was an incorrect decision just 
VAR got it right? Yes. It also took about two or three, four minutes for them to get it right. It's quite a simple offside as well. To be, well, it was marginal. But again, that euphoria, that moment, that ecstasy was taken away and slowed down and slowed down and slowed down. And then it's all gone. It's taken away and it's the right decision. But at the same time, it's of the detriment to the football that we're watching that it's taking so long to get to these decisions, if you get me. So it's a buzz even, kill, isn't it? It's a buzz. It's a buzz. It, it, it stops the flow, the flow, it, it grinds it down. You've got to remember as well that the purists, the fans, the people reporting or whatever, whoever's there, um, they are, let, let's just focus on the fans, they are there for escapism often to get away from the the day-to-day uh, rigours of life. This is their escapism, their happy place for many people. Uh, they want to be entertained with, I won't say free-flowing football, but a, a good game of competitivity going on. They don't want, I don't think, and people don't want for technology to be stopping games for three, four minutes at a time to work out whether something was a foul or not. And then the crowd wait and they're unsure. Again, this comes down to a communication thing. But I will just say again, even though I think reform probably is the right answer, there is certainly for me an argument that says if you asked, I don't know, at random 10,000, 100,000 supporters, there's a good chance that more of them still might actually prefer without. And you said that thing about, oh, the the people would prefer, someone said the people would prefer it having VAR if it was for their team. Not sure they would. I've heard quite a few people have suggested now they'd throw, have one or two decisions go against their team that would be for their team with VAR. Because again, this whole balances out argument, isn't it? That if, if a certain team does that. And let's be fair, Harry, football survived without VAR for a very, very long time. Now, I'm not someone who's saying let's let's completely ditch the system altogether, but you can see the argument that it takes away from the emotion of the game, I think. I would agree with the whole scrap VAR thing if the officials were better in this country. The is problem it, is... Think it's highlighting how bad they are to a, to a greater extent. Yes. Yeah, I, short answer. Yes, I would. And I think the problem is another big issue with VAR is you have a gang of referees at Stockley Park. A gang? Reviewing these, a gang of referees mm-hmm. reviewing these decisions at Stockley Park. And an on-field referee, look, you know, referees, look, it's it's not the it's not the easiest job in the world. You will miss things from time to time. That's mm-hmm. where VAR is to step in. But I feel the whole going to the monitor thing is so orchestrated now where the referee feels pressure to overturn the decision because this guy at Stockley Park's got all these different angles and can tell you. Yeah. That's the problem I've got. What do you think about the idea of putting a former player or manager into that room? I was going to ask you the same question, to be honest. It's an interesting one, to be fair, but what would it achieve? Neil Warnock. Get Neil Warnock in. What what would it achieve, though? Because you just have the referee who's there doing VAR going, well, I've got all these refereeing badges. I've done bits of my Premier League games. What do you know? So I think, regardless, I think the rest will just do what they want anyways. So I, I don't think it will make much of a difference. It is an interesting one, though. Maybe if they were mic'd up, that would be that would be a good idea. And also it would help because when the referee went over to the monitor, they'd say, well, I'm the referee, I've got the badges. But then you'd have the player saying, well, actually, don't you think about this? Or the manager saying, well, don't you think about this? So then you, instead, because there's an argument, like you said, you're getting the yes-men kind of brigade, aren't you? The gang, sort of, at Stockley Park. The official agrees with the official that tells him this because we've seen that angle. Whereas if you've got the player, the, the slash manager, you'd then surely just to hypothetically put that into the equation, then the referee's going over thinking, well, I'm the guy, like you just said, with the badges, with the experience. 
Uh, so I'll take on board what they've said, but ultimately I'll know because I've got that experience instead of someone else from the same bracket saying, oh, yeah, because then that re- on-field ref might go, oh, well, he's got the experience, the badges and stuff that I've got, you know, so he's seen it from an official's perspective. So I'll just go with him. Do you get me? Do you think healthy deliberation, maybe? Yeah, I, I do get you. I think what you're kind of alluding to is the mic'd up thing makes sense in terms of that, yeah. having that clarity. I think as well, because I think it's very easy for the VAR, the person, whoever it is on VAR, can kind of get away with whatever they want and everyone just forgets. And then you usually see a statement from Mike Riley on, on a Monday saying, oh, we got this wrong. We will learn and we will improve from this. And then a week mm-hmm. later, it's the same message getting put out. Yeah. So until then, something has to change. But yeah, officiating in this country is probably hit an all time low this weekend. And it is a shame, to be honest. But they're not doing yeah. themselves any favours. And I just hope that they actually do learn from this this weekend. And some changes are made because it is costing teams points and when we look back at the end of the season and certain teams have either missed out on staying in the league or missed out on champions league you know pivotal points of the season you can look back at this weekend and go well they were they were cost the result there weren't they it's not going to be the last time we, we talk about var this season but yes absolutely things need to change and fast Yes, and yeah, I, th- I think we'll, we'll we'll bring that to a close there. VAR to an end. We'll do the sort of sign, point to the screen, and then it says done on it. Don't have a screen to point to. And I'm, I'm doing the sign when it's a podcast, so that was a bit stupid. But imagine the square, the square, the Pulp Fiction square, which I I, I also think it's a bit like the the one on there. But anyway, that's just me waffling on to Tarantino. <laughs> but yeah, we'll go to the uh, general overview of the season and things like that surprises not surprises things like that um i think the elephant in the room if anyone did actually listen and look at my predictions is probably the liverpool shout for the <laughs> title i yeah it's, it, it, it i think to be fair the liverpool have suffered quite a few injuries in, in key areas and i think that has contributed a little bit to a sluggish start but i think it does it does stretch more than that I think they've had a bit of Murphy's Law about them, apart from against Newcastle, where they had the opposite of Murphy's Law, you would say, and I'm sure Harry would agree. I'm nothing. But I think injuries to Thiago, Darwin Nunez's suspension after he had a really good debut, uh, obviously Mane's gone, but Nunez coming in, you thought, oh, he's going to be you know, a real freak of nature up in attack, and then he was gone. To be fair, Firmino's coming in and okay. Canate uh, out. Matip struggling. I, I get uh, I get it, Johnny, right? But yeah. it's not like they've lost huge, huge no. players. I get well, I get Canate and Matip yeah. would start ahead of Joe Gomez, but yeah. that team should be more yeah. than capable of probably winning all of those games. No, no. Bar probably the Man United one, well, which you would say is, 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 yeah. an even, is an even encounter. Yeah. They've got no excuses, really. I think they've, they've, they've had a poor start of the season. Yeah. And when you look at Man City... I mean, it's it's night and day, really. Yeah, I, I think I think the thing with Liverpool, what I did note and what I have noted, and, and we haven't really seen it. I think when they had that really difficult season where they finished fourth uh, or third, actually, I think they finished third. When they finished third, yeah, came good third. at the end. Yeah, um, that was genuinely injury, you know, oh, injury yeah. ravaged. So I think we excuse that. So I won't mm-hmm. go with a mentality thing there. But I do think because a lot of this team have been around Liverpool for a long period of time, there is almost that case of subliminal lethargy or subliminal not quite at peak 100% mentality and, 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 and focus. 
few examples. Alexander Arnold, I think, does he really have competition for his place? No. And for many years, he's been outstanding. And this season, he's had a bit of an iffy start. He's had some good moments, scored an unbelievable goal against Bournemouth in that 9-0 route, but he's had a, a very dodgy start. He's not looked great. Robertson, too, still for me, probably the best left-back in the league. But again, Simicast, to be fair now, is starting to play a bit more. So maybe that will give him the kick up the backside that maybe he needs. doesn't really need too much of one. He's got a great character, I think, about him. He's been fantastic for many years and still is a great left-back. But again, that's another one. Maybe a bit of lethargy. Van Dijk, untouchable, had a really, you know, patchy start again. Just not quite focused on it, not quite positioned right in certain moments. That Zahar goal, I remember, just week on week two. It wasn't great against Fulham, but the Zahar goal where it was so obvious that he had to come across to cl- narrow, to close off. He was the using his aura, Johnny. Yeah, well, you know, so often a colossus in this season being tamed a little bit. Fabinho, poor. Uh, Salah, after signing the contract, rather quiet. Seems to be. Is he is he Aubameyang like 2.0? Well, I know. I, I, I doubt. I doubt it. But yeah. it's the contrasts yeah. are there, though, aren't they? Signing that's, a new contract goes to part. It's the first thing I thought about when he signed the deal. That yeah. could it be that? Uh, but again, for PR reasons and general feel-good stuff around the club, they had to give him the deal. Uh, I don't think it. Yeah. I think it's a bit early for that. I don't think it probably will be that. Uh, the team aren't playing well either, to be fair. But I do think that you can throw that into the bracket again. Salah undroppable again and has just signed a bumper new deal. The you know the lethargy maybe starts to come in a bit. I'm not saying they're deliberately downing tools. They are downing tools. But I think instead of playing at 100% Klopp, you know how how they have to be in a young Klopp team. I feel like a lot of them are playing at maybe 90, 85. And that small drop of 10-15, I think it's showing because the other team's going at gun, all guns blazing at 100. And it feels like they're getting caught out quite a bit. And I, and to be honest, the more I think about it, like I say, I think I do put that down to probably having too many of the same players starting around, even though they're all a lot of them are world-class and top, top players. At Man City, if they have a bad game, they're out of the team. But at Liverpool... If they have a bad game, they're not out of the team because they'll play back into form. You know what's really interesting? When everyone's saying, oh, Sadio Mane, Sadio Mane, really big loss, which he is. But before, before Luis Diaz came in and Sadio Mane moved centrally, Sadio Mane was playing really poorly. As I mean, it, if you remember as well that season where they finished third, he had a shocking year, didn't he? He did. Really poor in terms of his output. He wasn't really doing very much when he was on the ball. And... It, People seem to forget because of his past moments of brilliance and then how he finished his career. It was very, very good. But he was playing through so many bad games and he didn't have a replacement. Then they got Diaz and then his performances sort of came up and started improving a lot. So I do think there's an element of not having... I said they've got the best squad depth that that Liverpool have had in years. And I, I do think that because a few years ago they had no squad depth. Now they have a bit of squad depth. But they've still not got the same calibre of players in certain key other positions. So it means that they would they would be reluctant to rest certain players. Put it this way, if if Man City, if Luis Diaz, Luis Diaz, if Ruben Diaz was having a really, really, really bad month, then he they'd play Stones on the port. Ruben Diaz is probably he's, well, he's for me the second best centre back in the league. But if 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 they if he was having a really bad month, he wouldn't play. If Jao Cancelo was having a really bad period, they'd, they'd go Walker and maybe Ake at left back or the new signing they've got. If Rodri was having a terrible month, Calvin Phillips would come in. And that's the difference, really, I think, that they've got sort of positions where they've got a ruthless manager who won't take poor performances for too long. They've got a bigger squad depth. And like I say, I say Liverpool squad depth is the best it's been. Cities has always been fantastic. So I think 
ultimately that's probably where they're going to come up a bit short. I just think something a little bit missing up here mentally. I just don't think they're quite on it. And I think it's probably a case of being around for such a long period of time and being a bit too comfy, I would think. Yeah, I would, I've would. i always said about Liverpool, this little period they've had for the last few years, and I think we'll look back in a few years and we'll be really thankful for the title fights we've seen with them in Man City because it is truly remarkable what Klopp and that team has been able yeah. to do. Because when you compare the two sides, it, it is, there is a huge, you know, in terms of squad depth and stuff. And I've always said with Liverpool, it'll not last forever. They will get to a point where, you know, the likes of Van Dijk and Salah, they do get on I mean look for the next two or three four years they'll, they'll be all right they're going to be they're going to be comfortably top three top four in the Premier League but it will get to a stage where there was those top top players that they had before will phase out and the new it's up to the new ones and how they recruit I mean Liverpool have always recruited well but you do worry that this period isn't it's not going to be around forever second one for me I also think as well I, I'm going to question the mentality of the mentality monsters here. And I'm going to say that I imagine, I'm just wondering how hard it must be for them players to pick themselves up after getting another 90 plus point season and not winning the title. Mm-hmm. It seems that however well they do, however many wins they get, Man City pip them. That must be really hard to take, irrespective of what that team's done in terms of winning, you know, domestic trophies, getting to a Champions League final. It's got to be hard, hasn't it? I mean, the harsh reality of football, after all, is is winning. And when it matters most in terms of Liverpool in the Premier League, you would say, is is the top one for them. Because, I mean, they've got European Cups. I mean, they've got like six or seven now. The Premier League is their priority. Mm. Man City pip them, it seems, so close every single time. It must be difficult for them. Yeah, I mean, in the 18-19 season when City won 98 with 98 points and Liverpool had 97, that was tough. But then the season after, they got 99 points in Liverpool. So I think then, you know, it it really spurred them on. And and to be honest with you, I thought it would spur them on again because they obviously had the season after they had a tough season where they finished third and well off the pace. Season after that, second, and they thought they had it. I actually thought it would galvanise them, which is why I went with them in in first position, Um, really. And I also thought that many of the key players that had done well over the past few seasons, Alexander-Arnold, Robertson, Van Dijk, to fair, Alisson's still been good, uh, Fabinho, uh, Thiago, who, who'd really come into his own. I thought they would keep that same level, but I think a lot of them haven't kept that level because they, when I was talking about rotation, they do have some decent areas. So, Carvalho from Fulham was a really good find and he started the season really well actually Harvey Elliott's a really exciting young player Luis Diaz is a sensation but I mean Uh, Elliott and Carvalho I know they've had injuries should them two be really starting for a team gunning for pretty much every single trophy on offer I would disagree I don't see why not because um, you know Phil Foden eventually came into the fold at Man City over time, and young players always have an avenue to come into that team. I wouldn't be starting all of but, them. But yeah, I, but Foden doesn't play every week. No, he has been playing most weeks for Man City. Yeah, no, you go back a few years. I mean, Carvalho and Elliot have just come on the scene. Yeah, Foden, yeah. When he when Foden first came on the scene at City, he wasn't yeah. playing every week. If I remember, he I think it was the final game of the season, he, he came on to get his fifth match so he could get his medal. Yeah. Ideally, they'd want to ease these two in, but of course they've had injuries and you know they've they've been kind of forced into eleven, which but, you know it might help them in the long run. But I just think that it wouldn't happen at City, and that boils uh, down to squad depth. 
Yeah, but I think I think you could always have a place for one or two young players. I mean, Alexander Arnold, look, he came into the team at 18, 19 years old, and he's just been an ever present, hasn't he? So it has worked. It has done well. They have done well in that sense. You forget how young Alexander Arnold is, to be fair, uh, given the amount of games that he has played. But as I say, I felt that in attack they had those young players and the depth options: Nunez, uh, Diaz, Salah, um, also Cavalio could play up there, but also Firmino, Jota. And that's why I said before that they have had the best squad depth they've had in years. I still think Nunez will be a very good player as well, by the way. I think I, I describe him as Haaland light because I feel like he's got all the attributes of Haaland, but he's not quite as refined. So in front, in front of goal, shall we say, he might need a few more chances than Haaland needs. But he's got the pace, the physicality, the aggression, the the problematic feel for the defenders that I think he will be almost Haaland like. I can still see him getting between 15 and 20 goals this season if he plays most games. I'd like to think uh, so for 85 million. No, but he's still, again, I think the, the idea is he's adapting to a new league. Aside from no, the league, he's very young. And I think he'll cause a lot of problems. And we've seen that for most, you know, it was really naive what he did against Crystal Palace. But again, he, he's, he's learning. He's got, that's yeah. the Suarez about him, I think when Thiago is back as well, that'll make a huge difference. I mean, you of take course. De Bruyne out of City's team, Haaland's not going to get as good service as he usually does, is he? So. Well, you say that, but he scored a hat-trick uh, when De Bruyne didn't play <laughs> midweek, didn't he, sir? <laughs> he's just a role. He's just a role. You, 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 like, you, you threw yourself under the bus. Uh, he's, he's ridiculous. Like, but, it's, but, I'm genuine. Do you know how people are talking about Harry Kane breaking Shearer's yeah. record? Yeah. Kane's going to get it, right? Haaland's going to break it straight after at this rate. Depends if he's in the league, though, isn't it? Because he's got a buyout clause that might be triggered by a Real Madrid. Why would you go? <laughs> you never know. Might, might be like uh, Napoleon. Especially when you look at the state of La Liga, it's only going to get more downhill and then the Premier League stock is as high as ever been. Barcelona and Real Madrid are a bit more interesting now than they have been. Lewandowski's there, you've got bit of Benzema's in the form of his life, Vinicius Junior, you know, there is some fun to be had. Yeah, there. the rest of the league is suffering though. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> well it's life, isn't it? We're all suffering. Um, yeah, I th- yeah, look, I think, yeah, I, it, I think the, the signing of Melo as well, midfielder from Juventus, uh, he's not necessarily... He, 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 when he joined Juventus, actually, um, Melo, there's a lot expected of him and it hasn't really worked out for him. That seems to me like the perfect kind of Jurgen Klopp player. The, the one he, he does so much, I think, with players that have sort of not quite managed to get somewhere for whatever reason or not got where they want to go. And I think Melo... For his attributes of having the ability to create, pick a pass, he's got quite a bit of Europe, you know experience in the top European divisions. He'll fill a gap for this season, I think, when Thiago's not there, until they can go out and get that Jude Bellingham or whoever they want to get. I think he can fill that gap and bridge that gap uh, when Thiago doesn't play. But um, yeah, I, it, it's it is an, it's a, it's a really interesting one, I think. I think that's probably what I'm going to go with, though. The, the ultimate reason for their struggle is probably not quite having the competition available for players that have been around the blocks for a very long period of time. And ultimately as well, Harry, because the league's getting harder and harder and more competitive and more competitive, even Man City, who are incredible stars to the lineup, they have, they've still drawn two games. And they were very lucky against Palace, actually, that they didn't draw that as well. So... And Newcastle, they were, you know, they were three one down. So, so it's so, yeah. I, I, I think the league getting harder, and and Liverpool's old guard, which I've put in inverted commas because some of them aren't old, but they've been around for a while, have times gone by. 
they're just unchallenged still. And I think even though the squad depth is so brilliant, maybe maybe they, maybe it needs to be even better, or maybe they need a bit more of a refresh. It's a hard one. It's a hard one to say, Harry. It's a hard one to say, but accumulation of factors probably that have led to their sluggish start. However, it still wouldn't surprise me if they finished second. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would still probably tip them for second. I mean, especially after watching Arsenal today, where it was their first big test against it. I mean, they've they've had favourable fixtures, but, you know, they've come through them, they've won, which is, you know, fantastic. They've done yeah. the job, but the real credential check was the game. And look, they've they, they done all right. They, they're probably the better side. Did it surprise you? Who, Arsenal? Did that game surprise you? Um, No, no not I really. No, I thought United would win. Yeah, I, I would tip Man United. I yeah. mean, they are at home and look, yeah. they have spent a lot of money. But yeah. Arsenal have had a great start. So, yeah, it yeah. was it was going to be a close one. But I'm just going to go back to your original point there when you said about the rest of the league in terms of the Premier yeah. League standard has got better. Yeah. I mean, when you're seeing some of the signings that other 14 clubs have made, yeah. uh, it's, it is it is incredible. I mean, look, you probably expected Newcastle to go and sign some good players. I mean, Isaac... That, that's a fantastic signing, getting Botman in. But, I mean, West Ham signing, Skamaka, Lucas Paqueta. There's so many. There's a few others I've probably not named. You know, um, Wolves getting Matthias Nunes. I mean, I, I think he would he would walk into some some of them sides, you know, in the, in the big six, as they say. So, yeah, the standard is, is, is improved massively in the Premier League. And if Liverpool don't just start to refresh that squad a little bit more, I think that there's... I mean, it's so harsh to say struggles, because, I mean, look, they're still probably going to finish second, but the gap to City is going to grow. Hmm. And you, it, it mentality is such an underrated thing because, you know, some of these players I'm talking about have been living in the land of the gods for three, four f- seasons now. So it's not like, you know, they're suddenly bad overnight. It might be just that, you know, they need something to reboot that mentality, reboot it back up. Maybe this is a season where they do collectively drop a little bit and maybe next season they go again and they, they, they justify why they were dubbed as you say the so-called mentality monsters maybe they are physically mentally drained and exhausted after all footballers don't often get a break these days but again how do you keep that mentality at what's the best way of doing it as uh, at the sake of repeating myself or bring this topic to a close is you do it when you know that someone else has your spot in their eyeline and then you think well i'm gonna have to play and train exceptionally well if i want to keep my place and I think ultimately in, in, in that in that period of time, that spine has been there for three, four years. It's still there. And a lot of it, a lot of those players are still really unchallenged, despite how good I, I commented the squad depth was. Um, and some of those key players of, of times gone by are starting to starting to show a little bit of fragility. So, yeah, and, and Man City, there's not really much more to say other than, like I say, relentless and Erling Haaland, ridiculous. Um Ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous. How many do you going to get this season? I mean, well, it's he's difficult. Is that 10 already? I think you will slow off a little bit. Just yeah. a little bit. Yeah. But you've got to say 25 minimum now. And I'm fit, yeah. yeah. very surprised if he didn't hit 25 minimum. I also expect him to get injured because he does every season. You know, he does get injured every but season. But the, the, the interesting thing about City is, if you watch, they take him off after like 70 minutes anyways, most games, because they're winning. And he's already got a hat-trick by half-time. So yeah. they are managing his load a little bit. And obviously, he said that Alvarez is going to play some games when he can't. So I think the injury thing is, I mean, look, it's potluck, but I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was at Dortmund. No, but I still think he will. 
because I oh, think that's yeah. the nature of the Premier League, isn't it? He will have a period. He's going to miss a month or so. Yeah. The physicality of the league, I mean, it will take its toll because defenders are going to go out and try and clatter him because it's probably the only way you stop him. But then, of course, then you've got Alvarez, who's quietly excellent as well. Quietly he's very, excellent. Very good. He's very good. Uh, you know, he came with a big rep. Almost Gabriel Jesus-esque, in a way, when Gabriel Jesus came in, when Aguero was there, and he sort of yeah. came in under the radar and was suddenly everyone's like, oh, this guy's really good. Albeit it was more in Aguero's shadow, but again, you're going to get this with Alvarez as well, can go wide. Very, very much fox in the box, lovely finish with a ball. So, yeah, they can play with him or they can go false nine, so they're, they're sorted, really. Uh, no, they'll be okay. <laughs> they will, they'll they'll make it work, absolutely. Uh, in ter- yeah, I mean, we, we look at Arsenal and uh, they have had a really strong start. And to be fair, I, I, think, I think as well, when you go to Old Trafford and you control the play like they did and you dominate the play, United played at home basically like a, a small team, really. They got ahead on the counter-attack they sat back soaked up pressure and then scored two more goals on the counter-attack so again that's in a way that's sort of a side of how far Arsenal have come that they've gone there that they've looked to dictate the play that they're going there as the team the bigger team so to speak the one that's the one that's trying to have 60% of the ball break the other team down the aggressor the aggressor yeah so it's a lot easier to play how United played today by getting the noses in front, holding back, sitting back a bit and then countering, which I think, to be fair, is a, a compromise from Eric Ten Hag, who came in thinking he was going to do you know, what Arteta's trying to do at Arsenal now. And then very quickly after two games, changed that tact a little bit and made them more of a counter-attacking team, which is w- what they're more comfortable with, I think. They got pace in attack. Uh, they got some solid defenders when, they, when, when they're doing a low block. Um but again, ultimately with United, I think from that step, from that perspective, uh, you know, while David De Gea is a solid shot stopper, and I think, you know, always will be in that respect. It's like someone, I think he's, I think someone described him as an analog goalkeeper, and he is, isn't he? Really, because he's, he's a very ten years ago, you're still talking about him as one of the best in the league in terms of his shot stopping. Maybe he's waned a little bit in that respect, but he's still a very good keeper. But now, when there's so much emphasis on kicking a ball and distributing out. He is an obvious flaw to how Eric Ten Hag wants to play. I'm really surprised, actually. They went for Martin Dubravka, who's also not very good with his feet. Um, He's another analog goalkeeper. We just yeah. thought Jan Sommer or someone as a stopgap, perhaps, because Jan Sommer is good with his feet. He's a he's, a, he's an experienced goalkeeper, um, albeit you know he's not the long-term answer. But I am slightly surprised. When Pep Guardiola walked into Manchester City. One of the first things he did was got rid of Joe Hart because he couldn't kick a ball. You know, and then Bravo came in, and Bravo wasn't very good at goalkeeping in terms of what we saw. But he's actually—I thought you were just going to say he's not good at goalkeeping in general. So. But but his no, but his 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 distribution was fantastic. I mean, it was it was not quite as good as Edison, but it was still as good as anything in England at the time. And that's how we revolutionised goalkeepers. You know, being that extra man in spare man. Um, I'm really surprised they didn't do that with De Gea to be fair and I do think that limits what they can do this season a little bit when you've got people that can't kick it out from the back uh, from the goalkeeper because that's the starting point um, whereas at Arsenal you do have all of those cogs in the in, in the wheel you know I know they lost today but they went about it in the right way they played quite a good game it was naive from Arteta I think to then throw the game plan out of the window and then they went 3-1 down uh, in a matter of minutes of that happening but I do think that I think I think it was just an example today, really, of, of Arsenal. Maybe a bit naive from the manager, maybe a bit naive from the players. The intentions were there. They didn't do a bad game. 
Um, but I, I think it's a sign of, whoa, hang on. Did we think these were going to be title contenders? Can they be fourth contenders? Absolutely. They probably look best placed for fourth when you compare it to Chelsea and United. And I still maintain that. Still look better than United uh, and certainly Chelsea. But I think it's just sort of a an obstacle saying, well, let's not get too carried away with ourselves. This was the first big test. They didn't do too bad in the game, but they ultimately came up short. Um, and it would be a big ass, wouldn't it, to go from fifth of last season, even with all the signings, to go from fifth to like a title charge. It's too much, isn't it? Even even with the money spent. They've come a lot of strides in the summer with the transfers, but, you know, top four it has to be, doesn't it? Just get focused on the Champions League. Oh, look, they've got no chance of, of catching Man City and, and winning the title, so may as well nip that in the bud now. What I will say, though, is the top four race is it's wide open, in all fairness, mm. in terms of look, you, your traditional six. I don't think you can say that, obviously, Man City nailed on, yeah. I think the rest is the rest of it's wide open. I mean, Spurs have had a have had a steady start to the season, like yeah. we expected. They'll be in there. Chelsea, intermittent, really. Liverpool, intermittent. You assume they will come good, but a lot of it comes down to injuries, that sort of thing. Yeah. And then you've got Arsenal, who have surprised a few, have looked very good against the mid-table side, the sides they should be beating. Yeah. But looked a little bit naive against Manchester United. Then you've got Man United, who after the first two games, everyone thought they were going to get relegated. Yeah. Now everyone's going, they're probably going to get top four because they do look quite good. Oh, and mm. that manager, Ten Hag, who Gary yeah. Neville and Jamie Carragher interrogated after two games. Yes. He's quite good, isn't he? Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is wide open. It's, it's going to be it's going to be really, really interesting uh, to see how it all pans out. But, yeah, Man United, I was, I, to be fair, I was impressed by them today. Yeah. And I liked that the Ten Hag switched it up and, you know, made them more of a counter-attacking side because yeah. you know, you'd expect Man United at Old Trafford to have 70% of the ball, be the aggressor, you know, have all the ball and win the match. And he, he probably kind of just highlighted the limitations of his own squad. But at the end of the day, the fans are going home happy that they've beaten Arsenal. So yeah. I, I, I don't think they care really how they play. They still played some good stuff. I mean, look, they, they won the game against a very good, in-form, full-of-confidence Arsenal team. So you can't take anything away from them. But it's a results business, and you know if, if Ten Hag's winning games for Man United, then the fans are going to be delighted with them. So, and yeah. to be fair, I think I think the blueprints in pre-season, which we was which I sort of alluded to, which is why I didn't have them sixth out of the five at the start, I had them fifth. I probably stand by that as well, really, because the the clearly is are things being worked on. When Ronaldo doesn't play as well, the cogs seem to work a little bit more fluidly, don't they? So people seem to know what they're doing a little bit more. People buy into the system a little bit more. They know they're not playing for one player; they're playing as a collective. So I think that, that that having him on the bench and seemingly quite happy actually on the bench, at least while they're winning, um, you know, is probably the way to go. And you can see, you see in small parts, actually, the patterns of play. I know we saw it more in preseason, but you see it in games from time to time, Ericsson being in the midfield, massive, massive difference. He was that. great today, wasn't he? Was he was mad at a match, wasn't that new role? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Anthony... Very talented winger. Sancho, very talented winger. Get them. I mean, Anthony's played the system as well. He knows what Ten Hag wants. So there should be no worries about that. Sancho is looking good as well, again, after a probably year and a half off. In terms yeah. Of his, yeah. Yeah. So there's a. The, and I think they are. They will probably buy into this because, again, United generally do seem to buy into what the managers do for a bit at least. Uh, but I think this is the one with the biggest aim with philosophy. I know Ranjit came in, but he, he had probably the hardest job in the world, actually, to do to revolutionise that team in six months. And everyone knew he was going. Um, and he had no transfer budget to bring anyone in. 
So he had the hardest job in the world. This one's probably the second hardest, or at least up there has been one of the hardest. But he's had the money to bring in players that he wants. Casemiro will come in as well. So I do think they're on for a fairly OK season and they maybe could get fourth. For me, though, I think, like you say, under Conte, you can't see Tottenham get, not getting fourth. And I do think, despite the the youthful exuberance and perhaps a bit of naivety that, that is present within the Arsenal ranks, I think the setup there is so good and the depth is pretty pleasing as well that... I think I think they'll be also too much for the others. I mean, but you're a little bit dismissive of Man United there, and I mean I agree to yeah. an extent, but they have beaten Arsenal and Liverpool already this season. Yeah, they had yeah. a rocky start, but you've, to be fair, off the, off the base now. Yeah, Liverpool are the team occupying a Europa League spot at the minute for me. Fair. I don't think that'll be the case by the end of the season, but you probably see your top four at the minute is. Man City, Spurs, Arsenal, Man United. Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about Chelsea either, but Chelsea is exactly what I said to you in our predictions. I'm quite happy with that one. Um, One thing that worries me a bit about Chelsea is that they've sort of spent monopoly money this summer, but then there's reports of uh, Todd Burley, the chairman, wanting to hand out six, seven-year contracts. I mean, because it's a bit of an American thing, I think. I know, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. With with his team. I mean, they've given Amanda Broho a, a, a... Five or six year deal? Yeah, so apparently Reese James, they, they want to tie down for six, seven years. Yeah, Mount's the same. For far, yeah. they got a seven year deal. Yeah, and you say that, you say, oh yeah, but people will go, oh yeah, but Reese James is a really good player. I'll tell you what, how to kill a player's mentality, give him a seven year deal on crazy money. And then after one or two years, if you're not feeling it, you can just be, you can just sit on your sofa because you, you settle for life, aren't you? There's no incentive to. Re- I know it seems a bit ridiculous to have incentives in paid incentives, but. Don't come on. I mean, Man City have used this model of lower base salaries with higher paid incentives. It's just that extra bit to keep motivation ticking over. Don't give out crazy. You know, I, I'm, a, you know, I'm a, I was astonished when I was reading that. I know it's an American thing. I know it's been used in baseball often. It doesn't work in football. I do not believe that works in football. It's do you think we're going to get a super max contract soon, like the NBA? <laughs> It's honestly, I, I, it, it just it it doesn't work because you get high. So we've got players coming in on high fees. They get a crazy length contract with crazy base salary. It basically means if 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 you don't like the manager and you don't like what's going on, it feeds back to the Roman Abramovich style. Tom Burley's come in and he's back Tuchel, to be fair. He really has. And Roman Abramovich might have even pulled the trigger on Tuchel, to be fair. Yeah. Uh, so that's refreshing. But the problem is, when you hand players that much of a contract, they've got the power. Because you can't then say, right, we want to sell this player. He's got five years left. He's fallen out with a manager. You say, oh, well, we've got four players that you want to sell, but they've got five years left on the deal. I'll tell you what, we'll get rid of you and we'll bring in a manager because it's more convenient for Well, look at Mbappe. Power, he's got PSG now. Yeah, he's president, practically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. crazy. But that's what, what I think mean. What do you think of Chelsea's... Um, sorry, Johnny. What do you think of Chelsea's like, transfer window as a whole? Cause, I mean, they've spent £273 yeah. million, would have spent yeah. over 300 if they got Guardi all over the line. But it just seems a bit scattergun, really. Because, I mean, yeah, I they've, they've, obviously, look, they've signed good players, but... It's nothing to really shout from the rooftops about, is it? Or am I a bit naive there? No, I, I, I well, on paper, look, Sterling's and it Sterling's an upgrade. Fafana's an upgrade. I mean, Sterling was one of the cheaper ones, though, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, that was a great yeah. buy, but I mean, like yeah. Fafana, a lot of money for a relatively injury-prone defender. I think, I, look, I, I think I can justify Fafana because going rate though, isn't it really? Yeah, and player. also the add-ons sort of inflate the fee after I think it was 69 with add-ons if he does really well uh so I can kind of get behind that Kukurea 
again, I can kind of get behind. Sterling, We've already got yeah. Chilwell, though, in that position. I know he gets injured, but it's... But also, Kukurea can play a left side of centre-back and left and, and left wing-back. I think the worry for me is whenever a club spends that kind of money, it looks desperate, one. Um, it's not sustainable because... It, well, it's not, is it? You can't just spend that. You can't just print money like that all the time. It's well, you can't if you're in the big six because FFP doesn't apply to them, but... Well, yeah, but we, I know we talk about Man City and bar the £100 million Grealish that still has me going, hmm, really? I, I, I still find that a bit of a, a baffling one. Barring that, Man City's transfer business, I think the record transfer was £62 million, I think, on Rodri. Because, I mean, they've got themselves into a position now where players are that desperate to go. Clubs yeah. can't really stand in the way, whereas a lot of teams, they, they don't have that privilege. Players are going to City because they know they're going to go no. and win stuff. It's like Calvin Phillips. I mean, look... Yeah. If when West Ham tried to sign him in, I think it was in January they tried to get him. Phillips went to City for about forty-two million pounds, yeah. something like that. I tell you now, West Ham would have been caught with double that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Well, you build your. Don't, I don't. I don't like the idea of bending over backwards for players. I know it's sometimes a bit important, and maybe you have to do it for one or two. But ultimately, I think. It's never going to breed success if you're doing that. You want players to come because they believe in the project. And if that means, for me, going for slightly less known players, then I would go for that. You know, target people that aren't being targeted, that aren't already stellar names. Look at what Leicester have done over the years. Not very much now, to be fair. But over the years when they got Ingolo Kante... I hope Callum's not listening. No, well, maybe. Yeah, he'd probably agree. He wants Brendan Rodgers out. Keeps updating his Facebook every week. And I don't blame him. Yeah, but... What I'm saying is, and we'll just touch on that actually after this, but uh, the way I think you build it is you too many people, too many big clubs are so lazy that they say, oh, we'll get this guy who's proven he's 70 million. We'll get this guy who's proven 60 million, as opposed to getting them before they were proven and they, they were already practically on the way there for five or six million. Caicedo for Brighton, that's another one. He's come in and he's lit up the, lit up the Premier League. And he, I think it was five million, I think. Uh, it was certainly quite a small fee, and now he could be going for about 50 or 60. Who on earth, or why on earth, are people, big clubs like that? It, well, I think part of it's PR, but really they need to suck that up and say, well, you know, let's take a chance on a few of these guys. Let's get a proper scouting team. Did you see the, um, the Romeo Lavia story with Chelsea? Um, did you see this? No, I didn't. Oh, so Southampton bought him from Man City for, I think, yeah. £10 million earlier yeah. this summer. Chelsea bid £50 million on deadline day for him. It's mental, isn't it? 50 million. They could have had him. Yeah. A few months ago. He's had a really good start. I mean, Southampton have had a really good window. And also, they have. Way, really all of those people are going to go at me on Twitter, those Southampton fans who were calling me uh, king of nonsense, I think they said, uh, which is fair. I, th- I thought it was quite funny, but they were calling me king of nonsense for sticking up passengers. <laughs> all I'm of a sudden. I'm going to call that from now on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, after he has had a good solid window, Southampton are doing quite well. So. You know, I think I rest my case um, and I do think you do a very good job elsewhere. So just touch on two things, actually, then, that you mentioned. So Brendan Rodgers' situation, not doing very well at Leicester. Also, fair, I do actually think Lampard's done quite a good job still in the circumstances. Uh, he's not been blessed with money. And I, I said, I think I tweeted, it's actually it's particularly evident. It can be quite hard to get them all pulling in one direction. The, the, the environment, the club... The players, they have a tendency to sort of switch off and, and, and maybe down tools a little bit easily, mental, mentally a bit weak. But to be fair to Lampard, he's got them, even though they've not won a game this season, I don't think. They have been, 
you know, playing fairly well, defensively resolute. I don't think it's anything tactically genius, tactical worldly from the manager, but he has them well drilled, working hard, playing with passion. And I thought they did a really good performance in the Merseyside derby as well. Uh, Steven Gerrard, though, not quite as good. Uh, and also Brendan Rodgers, probably on, on the on the verge of being dismissed it by Leicester. Called that as well, didn't we? Yeah. But we said, but as I was saying about Rodgers, it's not the fact he's a bad manager, but it's the fact that if you at a football club don't keep supplementing the manager every now and again with new players and getting rid of some players and keeping like a healthy cycle fresh, if you don't keep everything fresh for the manager, then eventually I think the players will subliminally. So maybe we're seeing at Liverpool a little bit, but not quite to the same extent. But the players will subliminally start to switch off a bit, hearing the same voices, hearing the same, you know, um, ideas in training. And I think you can see that with Leicester, particularly when the basics aren't being done right. I mean, last season, Callum, like you mentioned, uh, Leicester sports Joe writer said that often they would um, switch off at set pieces. Like like never before, almost it was happening almost every game because he'd got the set piece. And I always think like if that suddenly started to creep in, it's almost a sign of okay they, they've lost a little bit of that focus, that intuition that maybe they had at the start of the Rogers era. Um, and I think over the over the weeks and at, at the start of this season, we've seen defensive fragility become more of a regular occurrence, and uh, we've seen mistakes become more of a regular occurrence, and we've seen I mean the Brighton performance was completely disjointed. So is it just a case really of good manager now paying the price for his club's inability to keep the environment fresh with players coming in and players going out? Is it just become a bit stale? It's run to course, Johnny. I think yeah. Rogers and Leicester, he, look, he is a good manager. He will, whoever he goes to next, obviously will be in the Top Premier six League. in the league for me. Yeah, I, I can I can sort of get behind that. Maybe yeah. top eight. Uh, definitely definitely one of the better managers in the yeah. division. I, I just think it's 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 ran its course and it's also a bit of a mixture of not keeping it fresh. I think FFP's been a bit of a bother for them this season. Yeah. Even with them selling for far there. Yeah. The replacement they brought in I think was about twelve or fifteen million pounds. So yeah. It's not like they've you know invested that money in three or four no. players for around that price to. You know, improve the squad. They have just brought in a like for like replacement for a lot cheaper. Yeah. So they are clearly hamstrung by FFP. Rogers is frustrated by that. But, but what I would say, Harry, is maybe get the Fafana sale a bit earlier. Maybe even sell a James Madison, even though I think he's a fantastic player, and then do what Leicester do, which is approach the markets of of overseas markets and bring in, you know, hungry high caliber players like they have done in the past. And I think you can get a kickstart with Rogers. I think you can go again and go again. I know the thing is, Harry, it's like I said before, it's always harder to do that than to replace the manager. I agree. I think also as well, though, with what you said there about selling Madison and, you know, selling Madison and Fafana and maybe even Harvey Barnes as well, if you want to go yeah, that yeah, far, is yeah. their recruitment hasn't been the best as of recent. Not as go, good. No, not as good. I mean, they have, They've they've had some pretty bad signings in all fairness, and they have they've had a huge injury issue at the club as well, which is that's turned into a problem. The Telemans situation ain't great. No, nope. I think they. I mean, look, they should they, have they, sold Telemans. They, they were desperate to get rid of him on on deadline day. The problem was though is he wants he he you know he's out of contract at the end of the yeah. season, I believe. So he knows he's going to get a Lingard esque yeah. contract yeah. next yeah. summer. So he he you know he, the motivation in there for him, which is you know, it's not good for Leicester. No. It's not good for Rodgers. Madison's 
also in the same boat. He's got, I think, just approaching 18 months left on his deal. So he's probably going to leave for a cut price in the summer or he's going to be in the same situation as Tielemans. Yeah. So, yeah, they have. Look, there's just a lot of problems, really, at Leicester. It, they are. They might be in a relegation battle. Yeah. It maybe. depends. I think it... Look, I still think they've got quality on their side. I mean, Madison's a phenomenal player. Barnes is excellent. They've still got Vardy, who will, will get you 10 goals, even at that age. Yeah. Tielemans, if you can get him playing, is a good player. So look, they will, they'll be okay, but they might have a little scare with it. And I think, look, I expect Rogers to be sacked. If not, you know, next week it'll be very, very who, soon. Who would you get? I it? Who would I? Who? It's, it's a toughie because I mean, like, I just, they couldn't. Oh yeah, I mean, look, they couldn't get Graham Potter, could they? No, they couldn't well, get him. So it's it is an interesting one because yeah. there has been a bit of a talk that Southampton players was surprised he wasn't sacked in the summer. Yeah. So maybe there is a little bit of a thing at Southampton where they're having the same situation with, that Leicester are having with Rodgers in, in terms of it needs freshening up and some new ideas brought in. Maybe Sean Dyche to Leicester. Oh, I don't know if they'd like that, Harry. I, 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 I don't oh, know. Callum. God help him. If Sean... <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah oh, he, you keep him in the league and he'd probably have them playing. He'd, he'd be winning. Them. They'd get some great results with him. No doubt about that. Oh, I th- again, I don't know. I, I, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I don't know. Um, who, who would you go for? Because, I mean, there's not a lot out there, really, is there? No, i got Hasenhutl. Um, I think Hasenhutl makes a lot of sense, really. Tell you what, this you, Scott Parker? No. You don't think? Even though, it, to be fair, I think he yeah. is one of those coaches that he's been raved about in terms yeah. of um, the FA and saying that he's one of the... Look, he yeah. is going to be one of the top managers... I think he's been dealt a bad hand with Fulham and Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably not now. I don't think he could. He could. Get I just think he, I just think he'd be quite a steady presence, and the players that themselves individually are top ten, top. Yeah, top but you eight, look at Bournemouth's results since Parker's gone. I mean, they went to Forest and won. They were two 0 down and got a point in the Wolves. So it's the jury's out with him. I don't think he could command the Leicester job. Mm. But yeah. there's not a lot out there. You'd probably see Hasenhutl, maybe, but they'd have to pay Compo. Mm. How much would that be? Yeah. Daish is probably the only one out there at the minute you would say. Is no, but a, be a lot of what happens job. is they usually get go for an, uh, a manager abroad, overseas, perhaps someone we've not necessarily heard of. And Andrew, they are. Yeah, tell you what, Andrew Postacoglu at Celtic. I don't think he'd leave, but that would be. Yeah, not for bottom of the league either. That would be a phenomenal appointment, though. Yeah, yeah, no. Imagine no. if they took another Celtic manager. Yeah. Because look, the Premier, and uh, irrespective of how well he's doing at Celtic and the players he's brought in, I mean, he's brought a lot of like you know players from the Japanese league over. Yeah. Premier League is huge, and we've seen the pull that it has. I mean, Rodgers left Celtic. I mean, he was one off ten in a row there. Mm. Joined Leicester. Yeah. Gerard moved from Rangers, won a title, went to Villa. So don't, don't. Know, dull down the height of the Premier League and the no. because I think that that is definitely an option Postacoglu. I think he will be he will be a good one for a lot of teams. Yeah, no, I, I can't argue with that. Really. Yeah, um, door door will be wide open. I'll be surprised if he if he continues next week. But you never know. We play Villa next week, don't they? If he does play Villa, that's next the week. El Sacco, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Should, I mean, we touch, should we touch on Villa? Gerard, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think, I think. Problem with Steven Gerrard is, uh, well, first of all, in terms of recruitment, his name is present. We touched on this last time. I think it's allowed them to get a certain calibre of player they wouldn't have ordinarily had, i.e. Coutinho. Problem with Coutinho is, though, 
Wendy is probably the more effective player for Aston Villa, and yet Coutinho ends up playing more. Uh, so that's and they can't really play together. But I, I mean, the I problem is that I don't think they have that quality of team where you can just stick Coutinho in and he can do his magic. Yeah. They need, like it needs to be a more cohesive squad. Yeah. So but yeah, that's the case for football now, isn't it? It's, it needs to be a bit more cohesive as opposed to individual magic. Um, I think one of the issues at Aston Villa, to be fair, is that they have excessive talent everywhere. So it's not like oh, let's play four two three one. This is clearly our best team. Or let's do play. they though? I think they do. I think, I think that I'm starting to believe that they are quite overrated in terms All right, of their name, squad. Name, name your attacking four. Like right right wing, attacking mid, left wing, strike. What, Villa? Yeah. Um, You would go probably Buendia, yeah. Coutinho, yeah. Watkins or Bailey out yeah. wide. And then obviously Ings up front, but I don't know. But again, then you've got... Then you've got oh, I mean, yeah, it's Bailey's great on FIFA, Johnny. No, the no, no, I know, I know. But when Buendia always performs relatively well um, in in most situations, doesn't get enough minutes. Uh, Bailey has been very, very good this season, arguably one of the most effective outfield players attacking and doesn't start all the games, which is odd. Uh, Ings, of course, is Premier League proven, as is Watkins. Then you've got Jacob Ramsey to consider as, as someone who likes to get forward and push on. I think, again, a lot of the times I watch Jacob Ramsey, I think very, very solid midfielder who likes to push on and be, a, a, you know, uh, make those late runs into the box. Um, we were talking about this at the start of the season. I said back three would really suit them, but uh, Carlos is injured now. So that sort of throws yeah. that a little bit. As so they have got Bednarek, but I don't think he could play in a three. He has played in a three a little bit, to be fair, because Ralph Hasenhutl used to flip between the four yeah. and the three. So there is that possibility. I, I see uh, the big problem with Villa, and a lot of Villa yeah. fans uh, have said that the issue at the minute is, is John McGinn, actually. Yeah, given my it, hero. Given, oh, but well, you said that the best double pivot in the league was Douglas Louise and John McGinn. No, I didn't. I said, <laughs> I, said, I said they were a very good double pivot. I think that, and to be fair, I do no, you McGinn's, said it doesn't get much better than that. I'd, again, went on song. John McGinn's a superstar on song, but problem is he hasn't been on song for a good while. Yeah, now. and Gerard's made him captain and like took it off Tyrone Mings, who was yeah. probably not done anything wrong. Um, yeah, it's an awkward one. It, it's an awkward one. That's probably not done anything to help dressing room around, but their performance against City was good, and the performance yeah. against Arsenal was quite okay because they did, they, you know, they kept in the game, they stayed in the game. Um, yeah, I think I think the problem is. I also look back at Gerard's career as a player and the managers that he had when he was a player. So there's Rafa Benitez, who's very, who's a pragmatist, and maybe his ideas have waned down a little bit yeah. now in the era. Um, you have Julier, who was a bit different to Rafa Benitez, but again, not necessarily a natural born winner. Didn't did win a few things, of course, in the time, but never the big, big trophies that, that Liverpool wanted. Then you have. Obviously, Hodgson was there for a little bit. Rodgers as well, of course. But again, you know, compare that to, say, Lampard, who had Ancelotti, Jose Mourinho and all of these. And I'm not saying that Lampard's a far superior manager, but the ideas that he would have got maybe from those coaches, you'd imagine put him in a better stead than the ideas maybe that, that Gerard could take from his playing career co- coaches, if that makes sense. And I think one of the big issues for Villa, and many Villa people have said this, is that they don't have a natural identity. So, for example, with Vieira... Um, you can tell the way they want to play even when they're losing or not 
you know, or drawing or whatever. They don't have to be winning. You can say, well, they're going to play out from the back. This player's going to be there. This player's going to be there. And that's the way football is in a lot of clubs now. I remember Arteta was describing it on the, the documentary, which is quite good, uh, on Amazon. I don't get commission for that. But he, he was saying something along the lines of... Um, he showed a diagram and he said, right, you shouldn't have to think about where the player is because the moment you think is the, you, you know, essentially is going to be like a sign of weakness. You've got to know where they are before you even looked. And that's the philosophy. That's the philosophy that coaches try to do. Whereas with Gerard, it's not, there isn't that detail. It's more like almost a, an old fashioned, you know, defend well, attack well. There's not really that, that intricacy. And that is a bit of an issue, I think, when you've got so many players uh, who we can choose from, but not that sustained identity, that intricacy that a lot of other clubs have. Potter, Rogers of of the past, maybe not now, um, at Leicester, uh, Vieira, Eddie Howe, uh, Eddie Howe, yeah. So, uh, oh, um, uh, Thomas Frank. You know, yeah. all these all these clubs have a distinct way of playing. The players know how they're doing it. They play such lovely football, and with with. With Gerard and Villa, it looks a little bit like they think too much about what they're doing, and it's not really thought out meticulously on a training pitch or behind the scenes, and it's more like, okay, do it now. A bit like football used to be maybe 10, 15 years ago. It's a little bit slower. Yeah. It's a little bit more... It's not modern, I think is what I... It's not now. The style is not what we expect now, I think. No, I think one of the big issues with Gerard is other than losing Michael Beal to QBR, is yeah. that he doesn't know his strongest 11. Yeah. And I think he panics in late games when his team are trailing. He'll just throw on Coutinho and just hope he pulls out a bit of magic. So I think tactically, he is a little bit suspect. And I just think for Villa this season, it, it's pretty clear with, you know, obviously the players they brought in in the summer, Kamara and Carlos in particular, that the aim was to push for seventh. Now you're looking at Villa and going, no chance they get top ten. And yeah, that's after six games. Because I mean, you look Brighton. No, but I think they might do we haven't even the spoke about it. I mean, Brighton. They might do if they got Brendan Rodgers or Unai Emery, which is my shout. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, just touch on Brighton actually before we go on to top six thing. Yeah, because I'm conscious. Uh, Brighton is a club that is arguably the best run in the league because they do the thing that I said uh, about criticising Leicester a little bit they keep it fresh because they continually sell many of their key not all their key players by the way but steadily sell some of their some of their star players for quite big money replace them on the cheap but replace them with the right characters and the right the right quality players they're not a team of superstars in fact I've not got many in my if any no I think I have one or two in my no I don't have one or two in my in my non-top six teams and it's just because the manager knows his philosophy inside out he knows exactly what he wants it's intricate and he gets people buying into it and that's why they can take on a lot of teams because they're all fluent on what they're doing and it's all intricate and it's all modern I'm going to use that word again it's all very modern and in touch with or even future not futuristic because that's the way it's going now I'm going to say it's more very modern the, the style of the that they play the way that they, they set up um, I think obviously that comes from the coach, but also, like I say, the, the whole setup at the club, it's ran sustainably. The people know what they're doing. Uh, they keep Potter, keep Potter ticking over and, the, and the, his players ticking over by getting some in, some out, some in, some out. And they keep it going, keeping everything fresh. Um, yeah, that's why they are doing so well, because everything runs like clockwork at that football club. 
yeah, I'm so impressed by them. I, I, even the first like game of the season against Man United, I think everybody stood up and went, they're going to be good again this season. But, I mean, but Harry, got... Harry uh, everyone lo- uh, loads with Potter, and I agree. But if Potter yeah. went to Man United, I highly doubt he'd be anywhere near as successful as he is at Brighton. That's just my opinion. No, uh, look, do you think? I mean, Potter for England surely when Southgate balls up World Cup. Yeah, but but again, it, the, is the environment? I mean, it's a bit different international, isn't it? I do doubt whether he could just suddenly magically go to another club and have them play like Brighton because he's in the perfect environment for him. He's got a perfect, yeah, club, perfect I, understanding. And like I say, if he was at United, he could be sacked within a season. That's honestly yeah. what I think. I think the most impressive thing about Brighton is though is not to spoil anything, but our non-big six elevens, which we're doing at the end of this podcast. In I don't think many Brighton. I don't think many Brighton players are going to appear in this. And that's just a testament to how good Graham Potter is as a yeah. manager and how well they are playing. It's, it is truly phenomenal, the start they've yeah. had to the season. I mean, I mean they lost at Fulham in midweek, which you know is what it is. But they're fourth on the table, 13 points after six games. And when you consider that they lost Kukurea and Basuma before the season started and the fact that they've picked up and, and had probably the best start they've ever had to a Premier mm. League season... It is, it is phenomenal. Whether they'll keep it up at this rate, I don't think so. But yeah. shoe in for top 10, absolutely. I just want to touch on, you touched on Fulham. Uh, I got that her- horrendously wrong. Mitrovic has been a revelation. Marco Silva ultimately is a better coach than Scott Parker. And yeah, with a similar set of... No, you didn't. You said they go down. No, I said they'd stay up. You, you listened to that back. Uh, I'm you sure said, I said they'd stay up. You did, and then you changed your mind. No, I had Brentford bottom three. No, I'm not sure I had. You did no. change your mind. Anyway, you definitely did. But uh, Mitrovic, yeah, was a brilliant, you know, he's, he's been outstanding. They play to his strengths. They also play very good football. They've added well. Andres Pereira is doing well. Like I said, he, like I said, he would do quite well. He has done very well for Fulham so far this season. Uh, you didn't say that. No. You said he wouldn't. And Len, Leno's a smart addition. Leno's a smart addition, to be fair, in, the, in, in between the sticks, certainly for a team like Fulham as well. And yeah, and I think maybe I under underthought, because I, I have sung Marco Silva's praises quite a lot. I think he's a very, very good manager and he's coming up with a very similar team to what Scott Park had when Fulham went down and they only just went down then and they did play quite well then. So yeah, I think I got that one wrong. I think they're doing really, really, really well. Mitrovic is, well, ridiculously in form at the moment and I think he, there's no reason why he couldn't keep that going to be honest, but uh, yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to see. Anywho, um, Top six, non-top six, 11s. So, um, right. So how we've done this is, well, we've done it independently. Basically, any player that does not feature for a top six team is being picked an 11 and we've put it together. I've put two together. I think Harry's put two together. The other reason I've put two together is because, again, when you have these suggestions, people always say, oh, why isn't he in? Then you say, oh, well, he's in. And then if you say, oh, why isn't he in two of the teams? They say, how many teams do you want me to move? You know, so... It's one of those, really, where it's just to try and convey um, a good number of players and essentially essentially credit more people, uh, because we like to credit people. Harry, let's start in goal. Who's between the posts? Uh, Nick Pope, for me, bias aside, I'm sure, but I just think he is he's the, the best keeper outside the big six. I know you will probably hop on straight away on his distribution skills probably lacking compared to certain other keepers i just think that he's he's won newcastle a lot of points already this season 
he's worth his weight in gold to the club. And if it wasn't for Pickford being so unbelievable for England, then he would be the number one. And I think also as well, Johnny, you'll, you'll, I'm sure you'll agree with me on this. It seems that a lot of people now are realising how good he is, even though you know he'd been fantastic for Burnley for so long. It seems he's come to Newcastle, and a lot of people have went, yeah, he's he, he is very very good. So Pope in goal for me. Who have you gone with? Yeah, no, can't argue. Pope's a, a quality shout. He, I do, I do point to the distribution. To be fair, and I do think maybe there will be a time if Newcastle want to be so dominant and expansive like other teams, they might have to go for another option. But yeah, no, f- phenomenal goalkeeper. Yeah, like I said. In terms of how we saw goalkeepers 10 years ago, he'd be the number one for England. But ultimately, we we, we have a different view now. And to be fair, Pickford has done really well for England as well. He's having a solid season with Everton so as well. So, yeah, but I can't I can't argue with that shout. Well, I can because I've gone for Robert Sanchez for Brighton. Uh, Spanish number one. He's really come out of nowhere and he's outstanding with the ball at his feet. But not only that, he's also saved Brighton a lot in terms of the obviously the saves that he makes. Decent commander of his box. I think, again, if you're comparing him to Pope, Pope's the better uh, goalkeeper from how we used to think about goalkeepers. But when you add into the fact that he's, you know, so comfortable in possession of the ball, spraying it to his centre-backs, knocking it out to the flanks or just simply going long. I think I think when you consider both of those in, uh, factors in mind, he has the edge for me. And also the fact that he is the Spanish number one ahead of David De Gea, it tells us all you need to know about, you know, how Luis Enrique wants to play with Spain and, and, and how many teams want to play now. So, yes, that's why Sanchez is in goal for moi. OK, defence, please. So what formation have you gone? I've got a. Uh, I've got two four, different ones, but what's your first one? I, I'd like four three three or four one two one two diamond. I've got, so I've got four two three one for my first team and four three three four team two. Yeah, this could be a four one two one two or four three three, depending. It's flexible. Hipster. Yeah. Anyways, right back. Who else? But Kieran Trippier, phenomenal leader on and off the pitch. Impeccable set pieces, free kicks, corners. He is. He's probably, for me, nigh on the best in the league. Fantastic defensively. The only thing that he lacks in is probably a little bit more pace. But mm. for an all-round right-back, outside of that big six, and maybe even inside the big six too, Kieran Trippier, he's, he's head and shoulders the best right-back for me. Yep, same. Obviously, used to play for Burnley, used to play for Atletico, Tottenham as well. He's a... He's a he's, gone to a lot of clubs done well for a lot of clubs I think Tottenham it's a bizarre was a bizarre one to sell him for for 20 yeah. million to Atletico he did well for Atletico as well but it's the fact what, that Newcastle got him for 12 as well like 12 million pounds for Kieran Trippier yeah. well it's, they sold they sold him because they were backing Aurier I think and they were going with Aurier which was a really poor yeah. idea yeah I, I can't really add much more to, to that really yeah it's probably is the best right back outside the top well that's why he's there so, yeah. yeah. OK, centre-backs then. I've gone with uh, Mark Gurhey for Crystal Palace and uh, Botman for Newcastle. Um, Gurhey has recently featured for England and he's another one of the players you look at and think, why did Chelsea let him go? You know, they do put they do put themselves in that situation where you think, particularly with the back three as well, Tamori, Gurhi, you think they'd do really well in that in that system. Instead, they're spending crazy money on players because they've sold those players. So, yeah, I think he's done really well for Crystal Palace. 
he's a very modern day defender. He's a little bit short, but he's got a good leap and he's very, very good uh, with the ball at his feet. So I'm going to play him, as I say, alongside Botman, who was he's probably the best defender AC Milan ever had, wasn't he, according to uh, Alessandro? <laughs> Evening, Alessandro. Alessandro, yeah. Uh, the, the, the man who seems to interview every footballer known to man and seems to have a role in his contest. Yeah, Ronaldo. Has he got his phone number? I, 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 you have to ask him. If you listen to this, <laughs> Alessandro, DM Harry, say, answer, answer the question that we are so eagerly anticipating an answer for. But yeah, no, Botman is just, um, you know, he came in with a big rep. He's he's looked at home, I think, since he's come into the Premier League. Another one who's very good with the ball at his feet. Um, and yeah, I just I just think, yeah, that, that'd be a nice complimenting pairing. I suppose I'll, I'll finish it off with, with the left back as soon as I'm in talk mode. Uh, Mitch Mitchell uh, for Crystal Palace, Tarek Mitchell. Now, the idea I'm thinking here is there's a dearth of really good left-backs, I think, in the, in the Premier League, and personally. Um, not, there's a lot of OK left-backs, a lot of left-backs that are solid. Not many, not too many stand out to me. Uh, the idea with this would be that, <coughs> excuse me, in a, in, in, a, in, a, in a fluid system where lots of managers uh, like to have a centre-back that tucks in and becomes a three while the other one roams and goes forward, Trippier could be that one that, that basically goes and roams forward and provides an attacking outlet on that right-hand side. He has experience as a wing-back, even though he's not you know, blessed with blistering pace. And then Mitchell would be the perfect guy to come into the you know side of that defence, make up the back three as a left centre-back. He's got very good sound defensive instincts and he's, he's, he's improving on the ball as well. Um, so, yeah, that would be my four. Yes, so two centre-halves. I've also gone with a Palace and Newcastle double act, but I've actually gone with Joachim Anderson instead of Mark Gerhi. Anderson, so impressed by him this season. Probably one of the standout defenders so far this year. We all knew he was really good, even when his first loan spell in the Premier League with with Fulham. Got the permanent move to Palace, had a really steady year, but it seems he's he's really kicked on since pre-season. He's looked excellent, I think, organisation-wise. Him and Gerhi are really, really good. He's quick. He's just one of those defenders that is just all around solid, and I'll be surprised if Palace can can keep a hold of him for much longer because he's a real, real quality defender. Uh, left-sided centre off Sven Botman, uh, pretty much for the same reasons as Johnny. Um, still a young player, uh, Dutch under-21 international, got a wealth of experience in, in, in the Champions League with with Lille, his former club, and left-footed centre off. It just it will accommodate very very nicely alongside Anderson. So I just think yeah, it, it he's a very very solid player and hasn't looked a real class act since since joining the club. And it's not easy to adapt to the Premier League so fast, especially when you come from abroad. And he's he's done that. So yeah, testament to him. Left back, I've gone with Kyle Walker Peters as my left back. He's a right back. He's a left. He played left back for Southampton quite a bit last season. But he's a, but he's more right back. I'm still going to play on left backs. I think Ty- I still think he's better than Tyreek Mitchell, and it's interchangeable. Trippier and Walker Peters can both play left back, so you can easily swap them around if you've got a little bit of trouble down one side. One is better than the other. So yeah, Walker Peters for me, great season last season. He's he's had a steady start to the year. I think he got a goal against Leeds. I want to say he's he's probably then with a shout for the England squads um, as well. Yeah, just a really really solid left back. Lots of pace. Um, Quite a lot I like about Kyle Walker-Peters, so yeah, I've gone with him. Uh, I'm going to crack on and say my yeah. two holding midfielders. Uh, it, these two pick themselves. Uh, Bruno Guimaraes being the first one. 
you probably heard as well during midweek, if Liverpool had a free run at any midfield player in the world, if they could sign anyone, it would be Bruno. I think that he will only leave Newcastle for Real Madrid. I think he would walk into nigh on every single team in this league, bar maybe Manchester City. He is, for me, the best player I've seen play for Newcastle in my pretty much my whole lifetime supporting the club. He's what about Jeff Hendrick? <laughs> Jeff was all right, but Johan Kabaye was always the one I hailed as number one. Mm. Bruno, for me, is, is head and shoulders better than Kabaye, which is really saying something. He's a phenomenal player. He can do everything. He's, he's just so, so good. I've he skills, his he, range of passing is unbelievable. His vision is second to none. Yeah, I, I could sit and talk about Bruno all week, but I'll move on to my, to my next player, which is Declan Rice. Uh, another one that picks himself, really. Magnificent player, so good defensively. Has improved his game going forward now as well, which is, you know, it just shows why West Ham rate him at over 100 million quid and probably why they'll get over 100 million quid for him. So, yeah, Rice and Bruno are my my two holding midfielders. Johnny, have you got, got similar? Yeah, I've gone three, though, haven't I? So I've got, like, this is interesting because all of these three could technically, in some capacity, play as the six, and then you've got two eights. So that's a good balance, then, I think. So th- you've got that, they've got interchangeability. What I've gone with is, Gone for the two of the same that you've gone with as well. Uh, yep. Gimaraish, I also have, I don't see him as much as you do, but I've also been very impressed with him. It's a, it's a scandal, really, how Newcastle managed to get him. And I, I mean that in the very best sense, because yep. you look at some of the other clubs like Arsenal, Manchester United, and think, why? Why is the for 34 million, I think it was yeah. as well. Yeah. No, it's crazy. Yeah, he, he's, a, he's an all action midfielder. He can defend really well. He's got good mentality can score goals technically outstanding uh box to box often the late man runner uh for newcastle when they have played uh, particularly last season where he came up with some ridiculous goals so yeah that that's that you i won't add too much more to that the other side as well declan rice who i am sort of seeing again as more of a box to box eight in this team because he doesn't just sit there does he? he's a bit like kante everyone goes kante is a defensive midfielder uh, but if you played him as the lone defensive midfielder, he'd be positionally a bit, you know, because he's at least so much about getting forward and being a destroyer. Uh, Declan Rice is a destroyer. He, he, you know, he's he's just he's just a very big physical presence and he's got lots of energy, he's got good technical skills. So that would be a power, that would be a ferocious double act actually. Those two, uh, complemented just behind in, in shall we call it the registrado or the uh, the lone six, shall we say, in this system. Again, could probably play as an eight as well, so you could have that interchangeability a bit. But Ruben Neves, who I think is a, is a, is a super super footballer, uh, the heartbeat of that Wolves team for many many years. He's probably going to leave Wolves in the next summer. Um, few better passes of a ball in the Premier League. He makes everything look so easy when he's got the ball, um, and he and as well as his passing range and ability to dictate the tempo of the game, he then throws in a worldie every ten games or so where he smacks one in from 25 or 30 yards or something like that so yeah Ruben Neves to to keep the heartbeat ticking over and, and keep that possession play going um I'll carry on as well then my front three which could be a number 10 and two forwards or a, a casual three is James Madison who I think is well I'll go through them all Madison uh Ivan Tony for me the pick of the strikers outside the top six you probably got someone different and Wilfred Zaha again I just think he's just a you know year on year 
looks better than ever in Patrick Vieira's teams than he, and you know he was carrying Roy Hodgson's teams which were 10, ten men defending under Zaha um, trying to do something magical so he, it's like he's been unlocked a bit under Vieira uh, and it's good to see him you know play with that I'm actually I actually like Zaha as a person as a general person I think he has a personality he's a bit moody uh, partially gets because he gets kicked around the pitch which I think, you know, gives him a reason yeah. to be a bit angry. Uh, but he's also very, very skillful, very strong, physical, um, very good technically, scores some incredible goals, and he has done for Palace for a very long period of time. He really has earned a move to a bigger club, and he has done for many, many years. Uh, but he doesn't like he'll stay at Palace for the foreseeable because Vieira is an exciting manager, bringing progressive ideals. And uh, yeah, he's, he's started this season really well as well, to be fair. Um, Madison, because... Madison's an interesting one. I think the reason he doesn't get in the England squad is because his attitude is a bit like Jack Grealish's attitude, which isn't that he's a nightmare, but it is that he's a little bit boisterous, a little bit of a Jack the Lad. And I think having them two together gives Southgate nightmares because he thinks, oh God, how am I going to have order and discipline in in the camp uh, when I've got these two party animals maybe running running havoc across uh, across the team? That's the reason I genuinely think why there was a reluctance initially to bring Grealish in and then there's an even more of a reluctance to bring Madison in. I actually think both the players are at a similar level. You'd probably argue Grealish has the slight edge because of his, you know, he got that move to City. He was fantastic for Villa, but I, I, there's not much in it. There really isn't much in it. And if he did get a big move, Madison, which he probably does deserve at some point, then there is an outstanding player in there. So yeah, I really do. I actually think he's got better end product than Grealish does, certainly when it comes to the final third finishing. He's, a, he's very, very good at picking up roughly about 10 goals a season, I think, for Leicester. So, he's yeah, he, he can, or more, I think he's due a big move. And, yeah, he, he'd be great in this team, I think. I've got him right wing or number 10, depending on how we're going to set up, but fluid, fluid, fluid play. And the last one, Tony. Yeah, for me, Tony's the next big striker. Um, this season, for me, it wasn't a Bamiyang Chelsea should have gone for, really. But maybe they had, maybe they spent too much on others, so they couldn't go for him. But it would have been Tony. He's perfect. He has so he does a lot of off the ball running. The statistics, the numbers back that up. <clears throat> lots of lots of lots of pressing, lots of energy, but but smart pressing, not just running for the sake of it, but clever pressing when needed. He's very much at home in a progressive system. He can hold the ball up. He's very strong. He's a lethal finisher. He links the play really well. He's an intelligent player. Um, generally and yeah man united really should be thinking right next summer we need a striker that's the man i really do believe that i think he he's the one who looks like he could make the big step up uh i don't think he'd be out of his depth so that's my three yeah i'm not gonna dwell too much on my options because they are the same uh oh so we've got i know actually no i've got one player that is is not included yeah i'll say the three that are in yeah. Uh, so we've got Madison as an, as an attacking midfielder who will yeah. sit behind Ivan Toney. Uh, you probably thought I would have went with a certain other striker from Sweden, but I just think recency bias, and it is a little bit too soon. And you've yeah, got I, the, I, yeah, 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 you've got to count uh, yeah. what we've seen as a whole in the Premier League. And yeah. Tony was unbelievable the weekend, so I've, I've just gone with him ahead. Uh, and Wolf Sahar, I've gone on the left hand side, but yeah. on the right, I've gone with Jared Bowen from West Ham. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Brick. I mean, look, he's he's been a quality player since he came on the scene at Hull. Uh, fantastic year last year. I mean, he, him and Rice probably drove West Ham to to seventh in the league. Uh, as 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 performed, you know, performed well on the European stage as well last year. 
come up with some big goals for them. He's just a top player and he's only going to get better and better. So I'm not going to say too much, really, because he's just a great yeah. player. Everyone knows that. So, yeah, we've got Bowen on the right, Zahar on the left, Madison in behind, mm. Tony. Yeah. For our second team, which is almost like could have been in, yeah, could not. Could rush we, through these a bit quicker, should we, I think. Should we just fly yeah. through them? And if any any of them will go, oh, that's an interesting one we can we can talk about. So okay. I'll, I'll start with my goalkeeper and back four. So I've gone with the 4-3-3. In goal, Robert Sanchez. Fair enough. I've gone with Matty Cash at right back. Not a lot of options, I think. I, you know, you've probably gone with Walker-Peters. You might have gone with Cash, actually. But yeah, Cash at right back. Not a lot of options outside the big six bar. Mm. So yeah, we'll go with him. Uh, Mark Gerhe. As a centre half, yeah, uh, I've gone with Max Kilman as the other centre half uh, from Wolves. Young player, come on the scene at Wolves. Just think he's a really, really solid player. Only going to get better. So yeah, I do like him. And I've gone with Tyreek Mitchell as my other left back, who somehow didn't score an own goal, didn't concede a penalty against Newcastle the weekend. But he is a very, very good left back. Got called up to England squad. Yeah, do like him a lot. So that's my goalkeeper and back four. Yeah, uh, Pope, <laughs> you know, why, obviously. I'd be fair, I did think Pickford as well, because Pickford's a bit underrated, I think, yeah. to be fair. Uh, so Pickford could easily be in those two. Yeah, but 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 yeah, I, I Pope for the reasons. Best goalkeeper outside the top six as a traditional goalkeeper from 10 years ago. So yeah. Cash, yes. Again, I actually, yeah, Cash is one of Villa's better players. He's a very, very good player. He can still do a job at a bigger club uh, as well. Uh, Trippier's end product's better that's why he's in there first um, then I've gone for so, so I was torn on the right between Dunk and Anderson because Lewis Dunk's a very solid player but he also yeah. plays in the three generally so there's that to bear in mind just pick, I would say just pick players in terms of what the squad is yeah uh, I'd probably go for probably go for Dunk actually on that on that basis because we've already got Gerhi from Palace but of course like you say Anderson's also a very very good player and then I've gone for Nathan Collins uh, who's gone towards you know I, I he's not got a lot of Premier League experience but I remember you know watching him when he was playing for Burnley and thinking this player played with so much maturity he was terrible in the last game but he played against Newcastle but he played with so much maturity particularly coming out from the back with the ball and we've already seen that at Wolves. He's made a few little errors, actually. He made a bit of an error positionally against Tottenham when Kane scored. But coming out from the back, he plays with such maturity and he's the epitome of a modern-day centre-half. I think give him another year or two and he'll be on for another big move because he's a very, very, very talented defender. Left-back, I've gone for Luca Dean, which is a little bit boring. Oh, no. No? no. I Yeah, I think Luca no. Dean's an interesting one. He's got a lot of experience. He provides some moments of magic. Defensively, is a bit mm, not always on the game. But ultimately, I went with Luca Dean because hey, I didn't think Kyle Walker-Peters classed as a left-back, even though he's played there. I always see him as more of a right-back. But then again, you got Cancelo, so maybe... I I'd pick Kyle my target over Luca Dean. No, I, no I, I think I think Luca Dean will do well when Aston Villa start doing well. I think he does have a lot of attacking possibilities, certainly a very good left foot. Um, but... He's not doing very well at the moment, but I think that's a consequence as well. The Villa not doing particularly well as well. Um, so, yeah, one of those. It, to be honest with you, I think it's more a case of I don't think there's a lot of standout left backs, to be honest with you, uh, yeah, out, outside of the top six. Dean has the capacity to be that 
but he I don't... should be. He should be, but he's not. That's, that's I, it, no, it? but I feel like if Villa were doing well, he would also be a key strength in that. But I feel like if they aren't doing so what you're well, saying is he's got the highest ceiling in terms of higher ceiling than others. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, he's 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 got he's he's played for France. Yeah, he's done. He did well for Everton, large that they were gutted when he went. He started quite well for Villa, and now he's not doing so good. So, yeah, that's what I've gone with. Uh, I'll go into midfield then. Um, so yeah, midfield, midfields. Yeah, so we've got Ndidi for uh, for you know Leicester. Ndidi's sort of gone under the radar a little bit because Leicester's been struggling. But you know, Ndidi is a he's a very very good player, isn't he? I mean, he's 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 an old fashioned defensive midfielder. For many years, everyone wanted him. Last season, he, he tailored off a bit, but he also had his own injury problems, which is a problem with Ndidi. This season, again, I think he was playing at centre-back, actually, uh, not too long ago, because they've had a few crises in that position in, in centre-back. But no, he's a very accomplished player. A little bit iffy on the ball at times, but in terms of the defensive side of the game, he's got it nailed to a tee. Not many better in that position outside the top six. Further forward, gone with Caicedo for Brighton. And gone with uh, Tielemans uh, for Leicester. So you know, two very Tielemans has the attraction of all of the bigger, a lot of the bigger clubs. Certainly, even more attractive when you consider getting for a free uh, if he stays for the full season. Uh, heartbeat of Leicester's midfield for a long time. Again, tailored off performances this season and a little bit last season, but a very very good player. I mean, he'd walk into Liverpool's midfield now. I mean, he'd walk into quite a few other midfields. He's a very very solid operator. Uh, walk into Tottenham's, I think, to be fair. Uh, maybe even Arsenal's. Well, Shaq is doing quite well as well, so you don't know. But, yeah, I, I really, really like him. Um, so, yeah, he's there. Caicedo, for the reasons we alluded to earlier in the in the podcast, very, very energetic, good off the ball, instrumental to how Brighton are playing already. And yeah, just another, just looks like another fantastic find. Of course, already attracting some of the big boys, the attention of the big boys. So yeah, those three. Yeah, three-man midfield uh, for me as well. I've gone with Ruben Neves uh, mm. as as the first one. Don't really need to add a lot more. Wolves, yeah. but Wolves' best player has been, he's been unbelievable ever since that first season when he came in the championship. Like how on earth they got him in the championship, I, I do not know to this day. Yeah, phenomenal player, amazing. Uh, set pieces, goals from outside the box, yeah, crack and play. Yuri Tielemans uh, as my as my other one for pretty much the same reasons as Johnny. He's a midfielder that would, on his day and when he can be bothered, walks into nigh on every single team in, in inside the top six. Third one, you, you're probably expecting this. Joel Linton, I've gone as mine. A, a man who is, it's probably one of the best redemption stories in football. How he's gone from a failed striker to one of the best holding midfielders in the Premier League. Uh, his stats alone, uh, sure, I think he was on par with Declan Rice last season. He'd only started playing midfield in November. Yeah, just it's it's a great story. He's a fantastic, he's a great player. He runs himself into the ground every match. He's improved in every game. His positional sense, it's like he's played there his whole career. His passing's starting to improve as well. Yeah, so I, I've gone with Big Joe. I, I have to go with him, but I, I thoroughly think he deserves it. Harsh on Saicedo because he has had a great start, but I've got a back Joe and I can't take Tielemans or Neves out of that team. No, yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. Um, in attack, we're going with the three again and I've gone with 
so St. Maximin on the left, obvious. Uh, Wilson up top. Because yeah, yeah. We, I've not really considered Isaac because he's only just joined. But if I was considering players, maybe Caicedo's only just joined. But already we see the impact he's made on the division. However, to be fair, Isaac probably would go in over Wilson. If but we'll, we'll stick with that for now. And then Bowen on the right. So um, again, Bowen, one of West Ham's better players apart from Rice. You know, very you know great. You know, really, really, really solid. Works hard. Good attitude. Gets the goals. Gets the assists. Not much more to say. Wilson. Definitely Newcastle far better team when he's in the team. He's very, very, very good at well, he's he's very, very he's quick, he scores goals, he's got a good attitude, he's always in the right positions, uh, but he's got injury problems. That's the big that's the big issue with, with Wilson. If it wasn't for his injury problems, I think he'd be touted for a bigger move. Um but of course Isaac's come in now as well, so whether he still gets those minutes remains to be seen. Um St Maximan so entertaining to watch he lacks a bit on the end product front to be fair for me um you know for his he's a bit like Adama Traore isn't he you watch him with Marvel although I think St Maximan's even more marvellous because he's a little bit more silky yeah Traore far better footballer but equally as frustrating I think I would say yeah realistically he should be a player that can be getting 10 plus goals and assists a season for his ability um and he doesn't he, particularly. I think uh, I think more with his finishing than his assist play. His assist play can be frustrating, but his finishing even more so. I think so. Yeah, but still, super talent, super super talent. So, and, and you wouldn't not want to in that Newcastle team. No, spot on. I, I've I've actually gone with Wilson over Isaac as my yep. striker, just for the the reasons you said. Look, he would be playing for England if he didn't have his injury problems. It's a crying shame. He is such a good player. It's it's just his hamstrings don't hold up. Yeah. Crack and finish it. Positional uh, sense is, is second to none. He's always in the right place at the right time. Outstanding finisher. Great pace. Yeah, great player. Uh, it's it's a shame about him. Look, it probably will be Isaac over time, but I think with with Isaac coming to the club, it's gonna it's gonna be able to manage Wilson's load. Which look, you can't expect Callum Wilson to play two times a week you probably can't expect him to play once a week with his injury record so having having Isaac it's it's two good options and it may mean that we get to see more of Callum Wilson during the season because it's one of those he's one of those players where you expect he's going to miss half a season through injury so if you know if Newcastle could get more than 25 games out of them that's a win for them uh St Maximan on the left hand side pretty much the same reasons as Johnny. He's had a great start of the season. Once again, injuries are a big problem with him. His end product will improve, but I think it's a big year for him in terms of of that because he is in a team now with better players. It's always been the the caveat with St Maximan and his his end product is under previous managers, he has, it's almost seemed like a bit like what we had at Palace with Hodgson where it's lump. Why do you say the previous managers? Just say it. (laughs) <laughs> Steve Bruce yeah. yeah it's a bit like what, what Zaha had at, under Hodgson where it was everyone sit back lump the ball up Zaha and hope he can do some magic it was the same thing with St Maximum there's too much of an onus on him and I, like I've always said Eddie Howe will make St Maximum a better player it was his best output last season in terms of his goals and assists even though there was a lot of calls and a lot of Newcastle fans probably might have been happy to see in the back of him in the summer, which is crazy to say but he started the season great uh, he's out with injury at the minute but look he, he's for his ability alone, he's got to be in this team. The right wing option, it was between two, and I've kind of gone in between 
Jack Harrison at Leeds and Leandro Trossard at Brighton. What about Pedro um, Neto as well? Nah, I, I just think injuries and stuff. Great player, but yeah. a little bit in, inconsistent. But I mean, Harrison had a great year last year. Ten goals in the league. You know, great for Leeds, a team that finished 17th in the division. And Trossard had a great year. And I think he will probably be the next player to go on to bigger and better things of the season. Probably will leave Brighton next summer. So I've gone with Trossard. Cracking start of the season. Two goals and an assist already to his name in the first six games. Big reason why Brighton sit fourth in the league at the minute and had a great year last year, finishing in the top ten. He's come on leaps and bounds. I think, look, he's quick, he's energetic, he's got good passing, he's a skillful player, good finisher. He's just an all-round tidy footballer. I don't think he's good enough to get in that that main eleven. Look, I don't think he's better than Zahar, I don't think he's better than Jared Bowen, but crack an option for Brighton. And if they can keep a hold of him, they're going to have they're going to continue mm. to have good seasons especially under Graham Potter as manager yeah no I think that's fair I think that's fair this is a good summary really of that I think yeah no I like my who team wins out my of team. our two so my if, two no my I think team. I think my first team beats yours but your beats no, I, mine I, I disagree I think my first team wins because I thought about the balance uh, and you've got Ruben Neves is arguably as good as uh, the. T- he's, he's in the same league as Rice and Gimaraes for me. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No chance. Yeah. No, not for me. Nice for Portugal. Well done. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I think, the, they, to be fair, I would be being a bit disingenuous there because they are different players and Neves is more. Neves is he's a little bit of a long shot merchant. Dare I say? No, I, d- I disagree. I think th- good player. I just don't think. Yeah, I, you can't. I don't think you can put him in the same conversation as Rice and. I think. I think. I think I was being a bit disingenuous because I think the other two are more box to box anyway, and Neves is a lot more slow. But Neves is more of a pace dictator. Ne- Ruben Neves dictates the pace of a game better than Declan Rice does. Yeah, I would say so. And Gimaraes. No. The pace of a game. Like Gimarias is more of an all-action, energetic midfielder, whereas Neves is more of watch, a... Just watch a 90 minutes and keep an eye on Bruno for the whole game, honestly. like I tried to do that on, on the final day, but then he came off and he got one to finish after six minutes. <laughs> that was Joe Linton. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. yeah fair. To be, no, to be fair, he's a very good player. He's a very good player. But no, my three, those three would be excellent, complementing each other. Um Obviously, Sanchez is pinging those balls out, so they're doing a total football style, whereas Pope's kicking it into Rose. So can't, <laughs> can't get out from the back. Yeah, but Pope is making foot saves and Sanchez is picking the ball out his neck because my attack is too good and my midfield's just ridiculous. So. Yeah, yeah. I, the attacks... No, the attacks we were, the same, we were saying it's two great teams. No, basically, teams. no. But it, two it's, great teams, and I don't think we can really argue with any of the players we've picked. No, but, but, but you've but, gone Bowen over Neves, basically. It gives him more of an attacking threat. And I Neves think is a better player. Neves is a better player than Jared Bowen. Yeah. Yeah, he is a better player, but I just think it works. I think the two man midfield works better <laughs> with Bruno and Rice because they, they. You've answered pop. your own question. You've lost. So I think, yeah, I think. It Johnny, would... you actually don't know ball as much as you think you do. I do, I do. don't know a lot of things as much as I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> actually, as a late one, managers, uh, Graham Potter, first one, Eddie Howe, second one for me. Uh, okay. Um... Ooh, I didn't prepare this one, did I? Um, Off the cuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Graham Potter first. I, I would probably go with my man Ralph Hasenhutl second. Three to wonders at, at uh, Over Eddie. 
All the Brendan Rodgers, who you said was top six. Yeah, I did say that, didn't I? <laughs> you see, I haven't prepared the question, have I? Um, no, I don't know. I don't know. You could have make a case for all of them, but yeah, I'll say that. You could make a case for all of them. Marth Ragnick. Yeah. Back and he's, he's managing that team on interim John basis Dad. until Johnny finds out who he wants. Uh, Steve Bruce. Steve <laughs> Bruce interim. Yeah. I'll tell you what, though. In Bruce's defence, I've seen quite a bit of West Brom this season. I don't know how they've only got one win out of Have you seen their team? It's class. <laughs> no, I know, but they're battering teams, and I don't know how they're not winning. It's weird. <laughs> like, it's bizarre. They batter Burnley, to be fair. Because they only train two days a week, and they'll be knackered after 16 You leave Brucey alone. You leave him alone. You don't deserve the slander. Anyway, um, so if you've been listening, then please, well, obviously, there you have been listening, but then do give us a like, follow, subscribe, all of that good stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. But uh, if you do that, then you will obviously help reach the podcast, make it go further, the reach go further. And that's what inevitably we want to happen. Although it only does come out once a month, or in this case, once every ba- two months. I was going to say bi-monthly, but that's two a month, isn't it? So in this case, it was once every two months, but that was because Johnny had an incredibly busy schedule and could not find the time. But there should be something that comes out uh, next month. And the month after that, it'll probably be World Cup time. So that'll be quite interesting. Probably, get out, should probably do a few, to be fair, during the World Cup. So definitely yeah. bumper episodes are in the could pipeline get, for that. get guests on, exciting guests with experience do, do we want to get guests on yeah exciting guests harry exciting yeah yeah from all over the place uh, there's a bit a bit of an inside joke there to be fair it's that we don't find many guests exciting i think that's the main the main, the main thing isn't it is that what we're going with yeah that's what we're going with but yeah please do stay around uh, and listen back to previous podcasts because they're very fun and entertaining. There was a podcast before Harry as well, so they were quite good as well. So if you want to listen to those when it was on a weekly basis, then please do. Uh, until then, thank you very much for listening. Um, enjoy the rest of your week. Unfortunately, Liz Truss is becoming Prime Minister on Monday, so <laughs> I quite that much. Enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> enjoy it while it lasts. I'm only joking. Some people might love Liz Truss. So if you love Liz Truss, that <laughs> Joe Lysett loves Liz Truss. He was very. Uh, very happy with her when she uh, when she performed that after that interview. I thought that was quite amusing. Not everyone did, but hey ho, you just uh, love live life love. Is that what it is? Live, live life love. Live life love. That's the one. God, I'm trendy, aren't I? Okay, Same with every Facebook man's wall on their house. After they spelt it wrong when they put it on at this end. <laughs> live laugh love with a uv anyway thanks a lot everyone and yes enjoy the rest of your month